Before we get into today's Reddit stories, I first of all need to tell you about one of my other favorite Reddit podcasts out there, The OKOP Show. If you guys are looking for even more daily Reddit content, then The OKOP Show with John and Sam is perfect for you. Just search for the letters OKOP wherever you get your pods. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. I was able to simultaneously gain a 30k per year pension for my mother while wiping my POS father's retirement. My father is the Canadian Satan. Growing up with him was less than fun, and I can assure you, based on witnessing it, he was a less than fun husband. I'd go on about what a POS my father is, but instead I'll quote a judge. You're the most despicable human I've ever had in my courtroom. And that's coming from a family court judge. I read this whining endorsement of my dad's personality in the court documents I acquired related to his divorce with my mum. The same place I discovered the crazy stuff that he'd engaged in to steal from my mum. It's also where I found the information I needed to get one over on him so severely that he's going to disinherit me. A frame of reference about my father is that he's a pathological narcissist and behaves exactly how those people are compelled to act. They aren't generous people and punching them in the wallet is like a slap shot to the taint from Gretzky. He's kind of like Donkey from Shrek, but also Joseph Stalin, a monstrous jackass. Chapter 1, Hosea 3.8 Those that sow the wind shall reap a whirlwind. Our actions always have consequences, and my father has plenty to answer for. My attempts to hold into account didn't jump to immediate jihad. They started with diplomacy and a therapist. About 10 months ago, when our tale begins, I was going through some stuff. Stuff being a whole lot of PTSD related to both my dad's abuse and my job as a paramedic. He did a ton that affected me deeply, things that I needed to move past, along with all that other razzmatazz from 15 years of EMS. In so trying to move past and work through everything, I quit drinking, started turning my untreated PTSD into treated PTSD, and thinking having my dad involved might help me and our relationship. Well, I seriously freaking misjudged that one, so you'll probably be unsurprised to hear that conversation went swimmingly. I'll spare you the lurid detail, but when I broached the subject with him, our back and forth degenerated into visceral hate with him screaming at me that I'm a failed paramedic liar and pos alcoholic while i have a certain pride about my job i have more pride in my 14 months sobriety so hearing this from my old man might have caused me to behave a little bit psychotically i got right annoyed at him and decided to dig up every bit of dirt i could see what kind of man he actually is and has been when it was convenient i hopped in the mystery machine before taking a trip to the courthouse to unleash my inner gumshoe everything is public record so i bulk bought copies before retiring to my easy chair to read plot and pets my white long-haired cats for good measure i obtained a file of divorce document from my mother soon enough i hit upon a line of inquiry worth following up on it seems that during the final settlement of my parents divorce this was in 2002 my mother was awarded one-third of my father's employment pension she was a stay-at-home mother and could not earn one herself so it was given to her by a judge Mighty freaking strange because my father as he brags took a nearly full pension and retired a bit early There's no way that guy was living the last 10 years after retiring early on a two-thirds pension He isn't constantly complaining about it 
So I asked my mother if she was collecting a pension from his job or had cashed out the value 100k plus at the time 20 years ago The answer was no to both questions. Well, that's interesting I wonder if that's collectible on and what 20 years of compound interest from a pension fund makes it worth Well, I did eventually find out along with the fact that my dear old dad had been collecting my mother's portion for 10 years In hilariously open violation of a legal order from a judge Why didn't my mother pursue this sooner a combination of being unable to afford a lawyer being his victim for 20 years And pessimism after so much of his continued dodging obligation to the order. She just quit There is effectively no statue of limitations that he could hide behind because of the wording of the document Insofar as I could tell I had him dead to rights and my mother would be collecting It would be a slam dunk. I just needed to hire a lawyer to help me. So I set out to find the most unbalanced, bloodthirsty, psychotic who passed the bar exam. Chapter 2. And your pension lady? As it says in the good book, screw unto others as they would screw unto you. So that's what I set out to do. The misanthropic sociopath I hired for legal counsel suggested we send a demand letter to the pension office to try and remedy it before filling what would undoubtedly be an easy win for him. I agreed in spirits and instead phoned up the pension office and got put through to the woman managing my father's file Well, she was a delight and it was a trivial matter for me to get her to loathe my dad We talked for 45 minutes and I swear if you'd given me another hour I could have convinced her to suicide bomb his house in all our conversations about life families and relationships We got down to some things of note since I could show her correspondence her office had sent to my father, CC'd my mum on, from some years ago and ongoing for five consecutive years, trying to resolve this matter, which he'd ignored, she was more than willing to start the process on remedy immediately. Full cooperation from this lady and her office was a matter of merely providing documentation and with my lawyer on retainer, this office was beyond asking my father to comply. They complied for him about two months since I last spoke to my father and he had no idea His pension was about to take a serious hit below I'm going to break down how big a turd I put into his bowl of ice cream My mother's portion was made whole and adjusted to reflect that her portion was brought to maturity and beyond So his early retirement doesn't affect her fund. So he loses 10 years of valuation to her He also retired three years early which knocks him down now to 17 years of pension valuation not 27 if you forgotten my dad had been collecting my mum's money and was overpaid by 30k per year for the last 10 years Like I said mum was made whole So the pension company is going to claw back that overpayment from the base valuation of his current pension fund I'm not exactly sure what that does to the number but it effectively nerfs my old man's private retirement fund He does though have government old age pension, but he took that early too Whoops, my dad did some awful stuff to me, but I only had to suffer 17 years of him My mum still has the high score at 20. As much as I did this for spite and malicious glee, I did do it also to give my mum a chance at a proper retirement. Chapter 3. Glitter Bombs of Justice My mother started collecting her pension about three months after I contacted the pension office. And to celebrate, she bought tickets to New Zealand for the family for Christmas so that we can see our relatives. I was able to get most of my retainer from the lawyer back and to celebrate, I went online to order a glitter bomb. I was able to ship it to my old man anonymously from another country. God bless the USA. I heard through my sister that he opened it up in his stupid red Miata. Oh God, he'll never get rid of it. Okay, as I was reading that story, I'm not going to lie. I was trying to do the maths as I was going and um, I couldn't do it because I'm stupid. But goodness me, that's a lot of money. Let's just try it quickly. Come on, give me the benefit of the doubt here. 30K per year 
for 10 years. That's about 300,000, right? That's the first lump sum. And then on top of that, I can't be able to work it out. But all the compound interest that you're talking about, the stuff that the pension fund must have made, the fact that your dad's had money taken out of his government pension fund as well, and all the stuff that he's had to pay back. It's not looking good, is all I will say. I hope that your mum has a much better retirement and old age life than your dad, um, because it's what she deserves. You know, it's super unnecessary as well, but I actually love the glitter bomb at the end. Like, you've made so much money out of this man. Rightfully so, I will say. Like, it's your mum's money. But still, you've got so much money back. But no, just to be petty, at the, right at the bitter end, you're like, no, screw it. I'm sending him a glitter bomb as well, just to really ruin his day. And he opens it in his car as well to compound his misery. I love it. Pay your tattoo artists. This happened when I was young. I heard it secondhand from my grandmother, who the main character of the cast lived with at the time. My uncle's ex-girlfriend was an all-around horrible person, an abusive babysitter. She got my uncle into bad crowds and legal trouble and dabbled in so many substances from A to Z. She was also heavily tattered. There was an artist, the star of the story, who was a family friend. Great dude, insane work. She asked him to do a piece for her. Huge, intricate angel wings. Oh, the irony, across her back. He agrees. It takes several sessions across weeks. She repeatedly has to postpone payments, but he's chill, family friend, yada yada. Until it comes to the last session, when it slips that she still doesn't have the money, and more importantly, won't have the money, like ever. Now, the pro revenge. No collection agency, no refusal to continue. He smiles, waves it off, and says he'll finish up, no charge. It's gonna be a great piece. Legendary, one for the history books, he guarantees. She is stoked. So right between those gorgeous wings, right up her spine, this idiot now has a massive veiny male appendage proudly standing at attention up her spine. She saw it in the mirror when he finished, and she was livid. But hey, what's she gonna do? She didn't pay him and wasn't going to pay him and expected hours and hours of work. You give a lot of trust to someone when they take a needle to your skin to lay down something permanent. Don't stiff your artists. The best thing about this revenge is that yes, although the tattoo artist isn't going to get compensated financially for his time, this woman is still going to have to spend loads of money, either getting this tattoo modified with some more artwork on top of it, or just getting it removed via laser removal. Either way, she's screwed. Topsy-turvy. I started dating a girl about seven years ago. When we met, she was getting up on her feet and trying to find her way in life. I let my imagination take over and started envisioning her potential and what kind of life we'd have together. I'd never had the feeling of disarmed, punch-drunk love that I had for her, and that probably clouded my judgments. Throughout our time together, she would reach out and ask for money for things, repairing a car, paying a bill, etc. We were getting closer the longer we dated and I'd always help her, assuming that I was making an investment in both of our lives by helping her through a period of instability. In all, I probably gave her about $15,000. After about four years of this, I finally popped the question. She accepted and we were married after a brief engagement. About six months into our marriage, she told me she'd been having car trouble and needed about $2,000 for the repair. This struck me as a bit odd. By that time, I was more than familiar with her vehicle and knew her explanation for what the issue was didn't make sense. One evening, after she went to sleep, I went and had a look at the part of the car she had said was faulty. There was no issue, and this set off alarms. I grabbed her phone and, on a hunch, typed in the amount she'd asked for, and it returned a text message with a guy she'd previously dated. Apparently, he'd reached out and asked for help repairing his car, and lo and behold, he'd asked for the same amount that she'd requested from me. My stomach turned as the thought entered my mind that maybe I'd subsidize more of this guy's expenses across the time I dated my wife. As I read through the messages further, I realized that this guy was the 
Leicester Diamond to my Sam Rothstein, and I'd been played like a fool. I'd spent my entire relationship as a proxy sugar daddy. I thought on this for a few weeks and tried to figure out what to do next. These sacrifices were not insignificant to me. I've been working as a surgical resident for much of our courtship, making very little money and working long hours to form a strong, solid foundation for our future. This was devastating, and I realized that I couldn't reconcile the situation. Once I'd cooled down, I waited for an evening, my wife went to bed early, and I got into her phone. I caught up on the most recent messages she and her paramour had sent one another. Then I initiated a conversation with him. I posed as her and told him she'd been drinking, she is a recovering alcoholic, and that she needed to get some things off her chest. I didn't go overboard, but I did send messages to the effect that she was not over him and that her affections had grown since marrying me. I all but teed him up to move in for a relationship with her. I then abruptly entered the chat and asked that we not talk about the conversation again in order to avoid furthering her relapse, but that we both keep in mind what we'd spoken about and see if we could make a life together work. I then deleted the text from her phone and hoped the two would proceed forward together. They did. I kept an eye on the text for the next few months and progressively saw things heat up between them until it looked like she was committed to leaving me. We didn't have many assets together at the time as I was still finishing a surgical residency. So I knew the divorce would be quick and painless and that we'd go our separate ways and she'd start a new life with the guy whose underachievements I'd been funding. So I filed for divorce and had her served papers. I was generous with the $10,000 in assets between us in order to make the split as quick as possible and we went on our ways to begin life anew. And you think that that is the end of the story, right? Oh no, friend. You see, mama didn't raise a cuck. In our states, not only are assets separated upon marital severance, but so are debts. And medical school is freaking expensive. Really expensive. A quarter of a million dollars expensive. So this female dog ended up with a parting gift of about $125,000 of my student loans. And guess who she shotgun married two months after our divorce? Fortunately for her, she'll only have to pay half of that amount. Because if history does indeed repeat itself, he'll be paying the other half once their marriage ends as well. It was all I could do to not send them a piggy bank as a wedding gift. Best $15,000 I ever spent. Wow, I had no idea that this was a law in a certain jurisdiction of the US, but if it is, and I don't know if it is or not, this is truly a crazy story. You're telling me that yes, although you lost 15K, you actually gained 125,000. That is mental. If you guys know about where this law is a thing or if it is indeed a thing, get in the comments down below. As you can tell, I'm just a dumb British boy. So uh, help me out. Crazy story nonetheless. Terrible boss gets his comeuppance. Setting, high volume independent tire shop in Northern New England, circa 2012. We'll call it 123 Tire. Target, evil general manager. We'll call him Jay. A grief parties? Basically everybody that worked there at the time, but mainly myself and the receptionist. We'll call her Ruth. Now for the backstory. So, Jay had been the GM of 123 Tire since he got the previous GM fired in 2004. He was and is a complete narcissist who believed he could do no wrong. And if you didn't agree with him, God help you. Over the years, Jay had done a number of illegal things. For example, he was always very physical with his employees. One time, he was wrestling with another salesman. This was commonplace and unavoidable if you valued your job. And the salesman, we'll call him Paul, took a bad fall and broke his knee. In order to avoid the ire of the owner, Lou, Jay immediately clocked Paul out and told him to go to the hospital. He also told Paul to use his own insurance and that the company would pay the deductible in order to avoid a messy workers' comp claim. 
Paul did as he was told and kept his job, but his knee was never the same. And he ended up addicted to opioids thanks to Jay's actions. Jay also had an affinity for the ladies. Now, I must mention here that Jay is an ultra conservative Christian father of 11 children who believes that a woman's place is uneducated, barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen. That being said, several female receptionists came and went over the years with only Ruth sticking around because she needed the money and begrudgingly accepted the regular sexual harassment. When he wasn't behaving inappropriately with every lady that walked in the door, he was behaving inappropriately with every other employee. Want to leave early on a slow day? Wrestle the biggest guy in the shop for it. Jay was big on wrestling. I suspected Jay may have also been wrestling with his daughters, but I couldn't prove it. The guy was a real creep. Big guy isn't in that day? Buy him a pizza. Trying to have lunch? Expect Jay to throw food at you. Want to schedule a vacation? Tough. He'll let you know the week before if you can take it. He was a complete child and I put up with him for six long years because I couldn't let him win. The setting. It was the summer of 2012 and Ruth and I had had enough. Jay was completely out of control as usual. Now telling me, a Latino, that if Obama won re-election, he would make my work life heck come November. Ruth was going through a divorce and he was trying to move in on her. For the record, Ruth hated Jay's guts. It was time to hit him where it hurts. Ruth was ready to drop a lawsuit for sexual harassment on Jay and 123 Tire. And I was ready to drop one for constructive discharge. Now, suing an employer doesn't exactly look good on one CV, but we were both at wit's end. The revenge. Ruth and I decided one evening that Jay's ultra-conservative values must be shared by his wife and family. As he was always working, his wife must be the one who goes to the mailbox every day. I created a throwaway email and got him a Bill Me Later subscription to Hustler magazine and Playboy and Penthouse. Fast forward a couple of weeks and he comes in looking like death warmed over. Turns out Mrs. J didn't appreciate his new taste in reading material and he's now living in a motel in the next town over. Now he's not saying that his wife kicked him out. He's far too much of a narcissist for that, but I could put two and two together. He's decided that he's done with his wife and 11 children and that he's going to start a new life with Ruth. After all, her divorce is going to be finalized at the end of the week. It was at this point that Lou's sister, co-owner of 123 Tire, and also not a big fan of Jay, we'll call her Liz, overheard him talking to Ruth in a less than business appropriate manner. Liz later took Ruth aside and got the straight poop on what had been happening for the last several years. And that was that. The next morning, Lou called Jay to his office and was far kinder than I would have been. Jay was to lose his title of GM and go to work in another 123 tire location an hour away until the end of the year. Beginning in 2013, Jay would need to find other employments. Jay was also not to contact the location that he'd overseen and worked in for years. Also, the location that Jay was relocated to added an hour to his already hour-long commutes. I suspect that Lou also encouraged Jay to reconcile with his wife, which Jay did. Okay then, now onto the epilogue where karma really hits home. Jay ended his employment with 123Tire in January of 2013 and never suspected any involvement from me. In fact, to this day, he stays in occasional contact with me. He went on to work for another tire store, this one a corporate chain as a store manager. He put his house on the market, bought a new one closer to his new employer and everything. A year later, he was fired after bringing a seven-figure lawsuit on them. They settled out of court and he moved back to the house he was in before as it hadn't sold. Jay's next job was five minutes from his home and his new boss was the guy that Jay had gotten fired back in 2004. That one lasted a couple of years until Jay gave up on finding employment in the area and moved himself and the whole family to the Midwest sometime around 2016. Now in the Midwest, Jay's been unable to keep a job in the car business for more than a year. And as soon as each of his kids turn 18, they seem to move right back to the area they grew up in. 
His New England home sold in 2019 for less than he bought it for. Ruth still works for 123 Tire and is very happy there now. The icing on the cake. In early 2021, I finally left my job at 123 Tire. I sold my house and became a full-time RVer. I've seen 47 US states, including the Midwestern state and town that Jay now resides in. I looked him up when I got there and he came to see me after he got out of work in my new RV. He said, Boy, you must really think something of me to look me up and want to see me all the way out here. If he only knew the half of it. Yeah, this guy is just clearly screwed. The fact that he genuinely thinks that you like him, even after he's treated you so badly for six years, just shows how screwed he is in the head. Like, I bet you he still doesn't even realize to this day how much people hate him. Like, he wouldn't even realize how horrible it must have been to work under him if he's the one that's saying, oh, I really appreciate you coming out to see me, man. We're such good mates. How does he not know? I have no idea. Then again, I guess if he did realize, he wouldn't do it in the first place. Um, Yeah, great karma. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Park your car in a danger zone. Good luck finding it. This is the story of Mike. Mike managed the warehouse of a hospital. Said hospital was built in the 50s in the center of town. The stadium is on one side, the justice hall on another, and the school is on the third side. There's also a barracks and two other medical buildings around. So the streets are crowded with cars searching for a parking spot. One day, when opening the gate of the landing dock, Mike noticed a little car parked in the hospital internal courts near the 2000 liter liquid oxygen tank that you can see on screen right now if you're watching on YouTube. As you can see, it's a pretty big boy. Now, of course, this is absolutely forbidden because one, this is a private property. Two, the court was planned before 35 ton trucks were the norm and maneuvering is already difficult. And three, liquid oxygen is explosive. A car or a truck hitting the tank would be a major hazard. It was a small Italian car. No advertisement, but it was the kind commonly used as a second car or to travel in the Dolomite Mountains where the roads are very narrow. So Mike makes some calls. The car isn't owned by someone who works at the warehouse or one of the nursing staff. No doctor has such a small car. The reception made announcements asking visitors to move the badly parked car, but to no avail. By 6 p.m., the car is gone. Okay, problem solved. But the day after, the car is there again. The same calls happen with the same results. Mike then called the police. But the police can't tow it because it's a private place. And of course, the towing company can't do it without a police query. By chance, that day only lorries came to unload medical materials. When it's time to close the warehouse, the car is gone once more. On the third day, when the landing dock opens, the car is already there. And now it's a real problem. A 35-ton truck from Germany must come this day. There's no way it can reach the dock without tilting the car and therefore the liquid oxygen tank. This has become a clear and present problem of security. All the warehouse team exchanged ideas on what to do, but all feasible solutions have already been tried. It was only when someone from the maintenance team passed by on a forklift with a pallet of plaster bags that it struck everybody at the same time. There's no way this Italian car could weigh more than one ton of plaster. So Mike went and saw the forklift driver while the team searched for a wooden pallet. Slowly, with many precautions, 
cushions. The forklift slided the pallet under the car, lifted the whole thing, and went to drop the car off at the nearby street. In just 10 minutes, the police were warned that a car is parked in the middle of the street blocking traffic. The said car is towed in less than half an hour. Of course, the truck came in and had no problem maneuvering. Two days later, rumors ran through the hospital. Apparently, it was the car of the director's wife. She worked in a medical building some streets away. While everybody agreed that Mike had made a good move, they waited to see what would follow. It's turned into a global problem of management. Mike is called to see the director. As soon as he goes in the door, he starts to explain, yes, I know it's your wife's car, but the director stopped him. What? No, I called you for an entirely different matter. I warned my wife several times. She had it coming, the idiot. Until the hospital closed 20 years later, this story has been repeated to each new worker and each medical student. Put your car in a tree if you want, but don't park in the landing dock court because Mike will make it disappear. Wow, that is so good from the director. I reckon Mike thought it was in massive trouble as well. He did something that was completely fair, I've got to say, and I'm sure he would have been okay, but nonetheless... When you do something like that and you realize it's a director's wife's car, you must be thinking, oh, I've messed up here massively. Even though what you did was completely fair, you're still thinking, oh, I'm in big trouble. But the fact that he was just like, no, I told her multiple times she's an idiot for doing that. Anyway, let's talk about something else. Good man. I like the previous story. That is a boss that you want to work for. What a good guy. Now, if you were looking at the screen, reading along with the story as I narrated it, you might have seen that this is clearly not written by an English speaking person, or at least English is not their first language. And as a result, I was kind of having to paraphrase at points. But I've got to say, one thing that i did change which maybe i shouldn't have done is the phrase park on a tree if you want i mean can that just become english because that is elite so i just get it completely accurate put your car on a tree if you want but don't park in the landing dock court yeah get that into my lexicon right now how i screwed over a racist horrible bigoted business owner and likely resulted in him going out of business faster this occurred in a sudden state i won't mention the state because well you'll see i was an account manager for a digital marketing company we sold lead generation services to business owners to generate leads one of our key selling features was if you turned on call tracking numbers and recorded phone calls we'd guarantee you x amount of leads based upon why spend And if we failed to meet that, you'd be entitled to partial, or if we really failed, potentially a full refund. Some things quickly to note about advertising. CTN stands for call tracking number. It's a unique number that's assigned to a certain point of advertising that consumers call. This number is only on that piece of advertising. It routes to the business line, and unless the consumer is very observant, they have no idea they are using a CTN. Call recording. If you turn on CTNs, we can record the calls and store the audio on our servers. The business has to consent to this also when you call you'll hear a message this call is recorded for quality assurance type of thing both of those are required to be eligible for our service guarantee story time part one the lay of the land the business in question was a small dad and son contracting company with a couple of employees they primarily focused on smaller jobs such as windows drainage finishing etc unfortunately this business owner was a royal pain in the butt he went back years and his account was filled with nothing but complaints also there was a strong suspicion that he was racist because his last account manager was black the business owner who we will name scott refused to ever meet in person with the previous manager also i was white and he had no issues finding the time to sit down with me and tell me how trash our services well it's coming up to do contract renewal and he says we aren't producing his leads and he wants to put in a claim for failing to meet our service guarantee i spoke to my manager about this and he said he wants me to listen to his calls write a detailed report and present my findings to him the manager is worried this may end up in court due to the 
dollar amounts involved nearly a whole working week of hours later i probably spent dang near 40 hours on this and i wrote a detailed 24 page report outlining the results of our advertising to say i shred this business owner's business practices is an understatement the report was a straight up attack on his poor customer service skills disorganization inability to execute and complete and total failure of anything resembling any sense of standard business practices that just make logical sense i will share with you a few examples of the types of calls i listen to small calls where multiple phone calls are truly epic in their total incompetence customer one this one was a small-time landlord who had three different properties that had received a quote from scott for work the landlord had accepted scott's quote and agreed to do business in one voicemail message he offered to pay a deposit to start work throughout four voicemail messages this poor landlord went from hey i want to pay you to are you okay to why the frick aren't you returning my calls yes i said voicemails scott had gone out to this man's properties quoted his pricing and then straight up refused to do anything more why i legit got no idea i called the customer in question and said i was the quality assurance agency and was doing a survey on scott's performance the guy ended up paying scott's competitor about 15 percent more to do the work and was utterly beside himself on why scott ignored him i was also confused fyi all my calls were recorded and put into the company records customer two this one in particular really annoys me again the public housing office called scott to get a quote on work that involved 25 different homes scott was kind enough to answer the phone this time which ironically was one of the few freaking times he ever answered the phone initially scott sounded happy to get such a big profitable job then scott learned two things it was section 8 housing and it was a neighborhood that was black slash hispanic immediately upon learning this scott informed the housing office that unfortunately he's super booked not true and that this area is actually out of his service area again not true the housing office was confused and was like so you're not interested in bidding and scott said no i'm not and hung up he didn't even say goodbye So I did a quality assurance call to the housing office and the lady was completely confused why Scott wasn't even remotely interested in the job. Luckily for Scott, the lady didn't connect that Scott was a racist idiot because discrimination against protected class is a crime. Customer three. It was an overseas phone number from Japan. A service member stayed up late to call Scott during his business hours. This person told Scott he was deployed overseas. Still, over the weekend, someone broke into his home back in the States where Scott operated out of. He was trying to arrange for a new door. He mentioned this was an emergency as his wife was being forced to stay at a hotel. Scott never returned his calls nor made any effort to contact him on the email he provided or called the wife who was local. It was a super easy job that Scott could have done in about an hour or so and made a solid profit. I think that's enough examples. Yes, I completely agree. Remember guys that Scott is trying to get a refund from this company because they haven't generated him enough leads, allegedly. Whereas clearly we can see from all these examples, they absolutely have. Scott is just being lazy and not even doing his job. So then, part two, review and plan. The actual report at the end said out of the X phone calls, Scott failed to properly service the leads in about 70% of the cases and that I could keep on going on. Still, I felt that after X number, there was a clear trend that had been established. It wasn't that our service wasn't producing leads for Scott. It was that Scott was a racist, bigoted idiot who everyone freaking hated. Obviously, I said that in more professional language. When I presented the report to my manager, he looked at it and went, dang 
24 pages. I asked if it was fine and he smiled and said, I got a pretty good idea of what this is going to say. He said he'd review it and get back to me. So a day later, he came to me and said he'd gone over the report. The VP had gone over the report and he asked what I thought the recommended course of action should be. My recommendation, remove all discounts, charge Scott total price for our services and clearly explain to him that our job is to provide him with leads. It's his job to sell those leads. If he can't convert our leads into business, that's not our problem. Scott was getting a 70% discount. Our price was built with discounts in mind. My manager was like, he'll probably cancel. And I asked my manager, and is that a problem? If Scott was going to remain my client, he was going to pay dearly for that privilege. If he wasn't willing to pay, I was very happy to let him walk. My manager smiled and said, nope. Part three, the meeting. My manager and I called Scott and arranged a meeting. I created a PowerPoint summarizing my findings. About a third of the way through, Scott gives in and tells me to get to the points. I knew this was going to be a heated meeting, so I wanted my manager present both as support and a witness. So I explained to Scott that it's our job to bring him leads and it's his job to sell them. His failure to do that is not our problem. He gets irritable and angry and my manager backs me up. He goes, fine, I'll renew my contract at the same rate. To which I go, yeah, you see, you didn't let me get to that part. We have new pricing for you. Scott goes, lower? I go, oh no, not lower. My manager smirks. Scott asked me for the new rates. I hit him at the full rate, which was three times what he was paying. Scott is furious with me, says I'm overcharging him, says I'm ripping him off, says I'm a horrible salesperson. He tells my manager I should be fired for treating him like this. My manager looks at me and I've been waiting for the moment. Truth be told, I gave zero Fs what Scott thought of me. If anything, my goal was to get him to cancel. Scott, I say, you're a challenging client. Therefore, the pricing of our service needs to reflect the challenge of providing you service. So we will be charging you our full rate. If you'd like, I'd be happy to go over why this ROI still makes sense based upon our past performance. This was wording I'd gone over with my management before using it. My manager felt it was fine. It felt so amazing to say those words. It was the nicest way that I could say, you're an idiot. If I'm going to work with you, it's got to be worth my while. Scott says we're a bunch of greedy freaking pricks. He says, I'm going to cancel. To which I said, that is an outcome we've decided is acceptable if that's what you choose to do. Scott huffs and goes, And what about my refund? Dismayed, I go, Scott, we've clearly demonstrated we did our part. The reason why you aren't bringing in sales is because of your company's inability to close on the leads we generate. To which Scott goes, so you're saying I don't know what I'm doing? To which I say, Scott, if you agree to sign up the new rates, I'd be happy to sit down with you and help you free of charge on how to improve your sales techniques and close more of your leads. This is me telling him he doesn't know how to run his business and was very much meant as an insult. Scott goes, nah, F you, I'm calling my lawyer. I go, so I take you're not going to renew? He goes, F no. My manager goes, that's fine. Would you like us to email you our report on your leads? Scott goes, sure, I'll show my lawyer. FYI, we never heard from Scott's lawyer. We wish Scott a good day and he leaves. Later, we wrote him an email, attached a report, and also told him if his lawyer would like the recording in question, we can send that file over as well. Our bases were covered and we knew it. I suspect he also came to the same realization, but he had too much pride to admit that. Part four, make sure that dagger is nice and deep. A few weeks go by and my manager 
manager says that we've got to shut down Scott's account, so I need to call him and ask him what he wants to do with his CTN numbers, which we control. In our contract, we say at the end of the agreement, the customer has the right to have the numbers ported over for a fee. It would have been normal to waive the fee as a gesture of goodwill, but Scott desired zero goodwill, and he received what he desired. I tell my manager there's no way I'm porting the numbers for free, and just like his quote, I'm charging him full rate, $15 a number. The total came out to just a bit over $100. So I call Scott. I get his voicemail, but he doesn't answer. I write him a registered letter, and in that letter, I outlined he has 30 days to respond, we have his CTNs, and if he's willing to pay a $15 per number port fee, we'll transfer those numbers over to his phone provider. One morning, I woke up to about a dozen hateful text messages in which Scott told me to go freaking burn in hell. I took that to mean that Scott wasn't interested in porting over his phone numbers, and I reviewed those texts with my manager. We saved those messages and uploaded it to his accounts. So, is that all? Of course not. Part 5. But wait, there's more. So here I was with seven CTN numbers that had been in service for literally years. Those seven numbers were saved in Scott's customers' phones, and to many of Scott's customers, those numbers were Scott's number. Obviously, they wouldn't be advertised to anyone, but that doesn't mean they won't produce phone calls. Now, if I just let the numbers die, the customers will call and simply be told, this number is no longer in service. Now, I'm not entirely sure if what I did here was legal, but it's been quite a few years, so I feel comfortable about introducing you to Bob. Bobby. Bobby was another southern boy, but as much of a butthole as Scott was, Bobby was a sweetheart. His mum would bake me pies for our meetings, he was a complete joy to work with. Bobby also owned a similar business to Scotty, but Bobby's business was more advanced, did more types of jobs, and also serviced the same area. So, I submitted a service request to pull all of Scott's seven CTNs to Bobby's accounts, and I waived the fee. All of a sudden, hundreds of Scott's customers would think they were calling Scott but they'd get Bobby. Bobby had all his calls routed to his secretary, Ashley, who was an angel. Ashley was also a wickedly talented saleswoman, and I know for a fact she'd be able to take Scott's clients and convert them for Bobby. So that's what I did. I had those seven CTNs ported over to Bobby. This did a few things that benefited nearly everyone involved. One, Bobby got more business. Two, I produced more leads for Bobby, which means Bobby was comfortable with spending more money with me, which meant I made more money. And three, Scott's old customers got a better service. And finally, part six, capitalize on my revenge. At the next performance meeting with Bobby, Bobby was very pleased with the sudden uptick in new customers. He even asked me, what did you do to my account? I smiled and said, I reviewed your account and made a few tweaks. Have you seen any improvements? He absolutely did. He asked me, did this cost me anything extra? I go, nope. He ended up increasing our spend with us by about 40% on additional services after that. I googled Scott's business about a year later. He wasn't in business anymore. I wonder why. No, my company never caught on to me porting over the numbers, and I strongly suspect our legal department would not have been pleased. And there we have it. What a story. I thoroughly enjoyed that. If you did stick with it, and I hope you guys did through the beginning, which I admit was a little bit technical, then you got that lovely wholesome revenge at the end, which genuinely is one of my favorite revenges that I've seen in a long time. Like, it wasn't incredible. Nothing amazing happened. There wasn't an insane amount of karma, but it was taking clients 
from a bad man and giving them to someone that deserved them. That's lovely. And yeah, you're probably right, OP. Maybe it was illegal. If anything, it's definitely not, you know, good practice to do that because you waived a fee, didn't tell your company about it, etc., etc. Nobody found out means, yeah, you knew you were doing something wrong. But were you really, though? That's my question. Because if something is morally right, is it wrong at all? Like, imagine being Bobby in this situation. You're a hardworking dude, you know, you employ good people, you do a great job, you like working with OP's company anyway, and then you're like, what's happening here? I'm getting even more stuff. You don't have to tell him about how you're doing this. You don't have to charge him for it. Brilliant. And then eventually it benefits you because he buys 40% more additional services anyway, so your company's not going to be mad, are they? Even if they never found out what you're really doing. Love the story. Scott's an idiot. You did really well. Cheat on me and brag to your friends. Enjoy deportation. I met this girl, 22 at the time, while I, a 30-year-old man at the time, was working in a national park, and she was a housekeeper on a work visa. We instantly hit it off, and within a month, we were in a relationship. We even had a solid long-distance arrangement where we'd visit each other on recreational visas in our respective off-seasons. I'd spend a few months in Romania or meet her at some vacation destination, then she'd spend a few months in the States. This went on for about two years, and eventually the conversation came up with her family about possibly moving her to the States permanently. Romania never really recovered from the Ceausescu regime and political economic corruption makes life pretty unpleasant for a lot of people. Her marrying and moving to the US meant that her mum wouldn't have to worry about her daughter having a good life. I arranged for sponsorship and proposed to her. It seemed like my dreams were coming true. Then, about a month after she's all settled in, I get a message from her best friend back home. What followed were a year's worth of screenshots wherein she bragged about conning me into paying for her residency while she cheated on me with eight different men. In her friend's words, You are a good man and you don't deserve this So over the following two weeks I reported her to ICE and Homeland Security For a conversation her brother and I had over a bottle at one point He bragged about how he'd done time in prison For smuggling weapons to Turkish terrorists And how she'd been his lookout on several occasions As you might imagine in the war on terror days This was not taken lightly She was immediately arrested and deported And put on a permanent no-entry terror watch list Want to take advantage of me and cheat? Have fun never being able to come back to the States. Now look guys, I'd be lying if I said that I don't love nuclear revenge, supernova, black car revenge, all that stuff, you know, that involves things that are just truly mental, incredibly illegal, that sort of thing. However, there's something amazing about legal revenge like this that's just so professionally done. Nothing too drastic, just all within the law, and yeah, you got what you wanted legally okay looking at the comments apparently op still hears from this person and both of her brothers most of her cousins too all sending him death threats and her mum congratulating him saying she could use a son like me strange the mother's approving what you did but the rest of the family are saying you need to die franchise owner told me i was a nobody who should know her place he doesn't have a business now i got hired to be the manager and completely run a frozen yogurt shop after working at a different location that had different owners for years i was promised great pay and complete control i get there and it was a train wreck the type of yogurt they sold you took a powder base mixed with milk and add flavors the workers were just pouring straight milk into the machines the floors under the machines literally had never been cleaned I found an anthill under the cold topping cooler. I found mold in multiple machines. They didn't have a blender to mix the yogurt or a recipe chart for employees. 
The owners also owned a subway, so the only knives they had were dull subway knives. They had no gloves or cleaning supplies of any kind besides dish soap. I worked my butt off cleaning the store, literally spending hours with a razor scraping the years of yogurt off the floor. The owner fussed at me for doing unnecessary things on the clock and demanded that I clock out if I wanted to do that. He also only kept four employees at a time in the store and tried to make them all work at the subway too so he could just pay them that way. I refused. One of the employees he had when I got there was literally 14. The state I lived in allowed that but had very strict rules about it. Like they can't work before 7am or after 7pm. They need to have a 30 minute break every four hours, etc. The owner made the schedule and I noticed that he had the 14 year old there alone for six hours. I go in on my day off to order toppings and then told her she needed to clean, not just sit on her phone the whole time. She got annoyed with me but finally did it. Then I come out of the office, clock in, and tell her she has to take a 30-minute break. She goes off on me, and I'm like, look, kid, it's the law. She called the owner about it, and he immediately yelled at me that I was no one and had no authority. I have no right to make her clock out, and I needed to understand my place. So the next day, I opened. I cleaned all the machines, filled them with cleaner water, not yogurt, and put them to wash cycle. I mopped the awful floor, took out the trash, then went into the office and typed up a sign with pictures I'd taken of all the disgusting things I'd seen and since fixed. I printed it out, taped it to the door on the inside so it couldn't be ripped off, locked the door, slid my keys under it, blocked the owner, and left. The sign read, Dear customers, I apologize for the inconvenience. Due to the owner, owner's full name, believing this is an acceptable way to keep the store and that cleaning this is unnecessary, I, a nobody who should know her place, have decided you deserve to know the disgusting state of this store prior to my employment. The store will remain closed until he tricks someone else to manage it for minimum wage after promising $18 an hour. Feel free to speak to the owner at the subway across the shopping center. I don't recommend eating there though. I've also contacted the Department of Health and the Department of Labor for his illegal hiring of a minor without following the law and his demand that all workers here also work at the subway so he only has to pay us subway checks with yogurt shop name hours added on. Corporate of both, the frozen yogurt chain and the subway have also been contacted over the multiple contract violations the owner has done. Apologies again for the inconvenience. If you still would like a cold sweet treat, I recommend another ice cream shop nearby. In conclusion, the yogurt shop and his subway got closed down. Oh wow, it's clear this guy is just rotten to the core. Like all the stuff that he's trying to do is so illegal. What's he doing? Saying, yeah, you're actually a subway employee, but no, you don't actually work in that building. It's just easier for paperwork and I can probably pay you less. That's probably what he was going for. What a strange man. Just trying to get every possible penny out of you lot. Going against employment laws. Like, why is he employing a 14-year-old in the first place and then not having them do the stuff that is just so legal? Again, in the same way in the first story, what you're doing here is completely legal, which I love. The sign, by the way, so good. Imagine being a customer, going up to that shop and reading that. You'd be like, what the heck has gone down here? I love it. And yeah, I'm going to go to another yogurt shop, not this one. It's a really bad idea to make a government employee angry. This one is a double government employee event. And what you should know is if you get the attention of a government employee and make them angry, they will make your life a living hell. The setup is that I was working for a local county government in the permitting department to handle drainage and floodplain enforcement. I received a complaint from a homeowner, a nice guy, who lived next door to a house that was part of an incorporated village. Not a nice guy. The nice guy lived in an unincorporated portion of the county and hence the call to me as an agent of the county. I drove out to the sites and to investigate and discovered some interesting facts. The permitting agent for the village allowed the incorporated homeowner to fill his lot, affecting the drainage, which caused the unincorporated lot to flood 
every time there was anything more than light rain. The nice guy indicated that there was some tension between him and the not nice guy, and part of the issue was that the nice guy and his partner were a gay couple. This ran up a red flag for me, but in trying to be impartial, I took the information and some photos for the file and indicated that I would contact the village to find a resolution. I wrote a letter and then called the village inspector, Jack Wagon, to discuss. I was told by Jack Wagon that the village could do as it pleased, and that I could do nothing to stop the not nice guy from doing as they pleased, as it was approved by the village. There was then a comment about those type of people, the gay couple, making complaints just to cause trouble. I was now on the case, and it was time to make sure everything done on the incorporated lot was 100% legal. At this point, the game certainly was now on, because if there's one thing that grinds my gears, it's bullying. Well, hey, I go one step further than that. It's not just bullying, it's also homophobia. I went back out and spoke to the nice guy to let them know what I was up to, and also that I was not going to let this slide. I then started investigating the elevations on the two lots and what Phil had been placed on the incorporated lots. The not nice guy came out and started getting belligerent about my presence and ongoing investigation. He incorrectly stated that I did not have jurisdiction over his lot and that he would be calling the police. I patiently listened and then pulled out my two-way radio and requested that the home base dispatch both a village and a County police unit to the location. I then indicated that since there was a regulatory floodplain on his lot, I did in fact have jurisdiction and that I would be exercising my right to determine the impact of his fill activities upon that floodplain. Both of the police units showed up and I let them know what was going on. They were both appropriately agitated to have to waste their time and let the not nice guy know that I was within my authority to proceed with the investigation. A little while later, while I was measuring things, Jack Wagon showed up. He started berating me about harassing the village resident and threatening calling my boss and filing a complaint and so forth. I invited him to do so, quoting which parts of the code he should indicate I was violating. I was using marking paint to show the limits of the floodplain for the photos for the file, and what do you know, Jack Wagon's shoe got painted when he tried to stop me. Obviously, he was even more angry, as was the homeowner, due to very bright orange paint in the grass in his yard. I pointed out I had done the same on the neighboring lots, but they just kept complaining. It was actually marking chalk that comes off pretty easily. Interestingly, I found two really wrong things on the not nice guy's lot. One, there was fill placed in the floodplain. And two, a garden shed was built on the fill and partially within the floodplain. Both are a big no-no and are actually against federal law. So the course of action had two parts. First, make the incorporated homeowner remove the fill and shed from the floodplain. And two, let the nice guy place fill in their lot outside of the floodplain to counteract the fill remaining in the not nice guy's lot outside of the floodplain. I also told the nice guy it would be a good idea to run a field tile on their side to drain the water that would inevitably pond up between the two lots when it rained. Predictably, the not nice guy and Jack Wagon got super angry when I sent the letter out that there were violations that either had to be corrected, remove fill and shed, or apply for a revision of the floodplain with the Army Corps of Engineers. Good luck with that. This then led to a meeting at the county office with not nice guy, Jack Wagon, my supervisor, and myself. Quickly, things went to 11, and there was yelling by Jack Wagon about abuse of power, etc. The department head came into the conference room and told them both they were wrong and that they should leave peacefully and comply or face the consequences, fines. The best part was that the not nice guy had to apply for a permit and guess who was the one to review and approve it? That's right, yours truly. Now, I was following the letter of the law, but you have to know that poor government workers are underpaid and overworked. Strangely, the permit for nice guy was almost immediately approved, while the not nice guy had to have a very thorough review to ensure it was correct. You can make a case that I was abusing my power, but I can assure you that the timing for their review was well within accepted limits. Also, how could I be held to account that they misfiled three times before they finally got it right? 
Generally, if you behave like a civil human and came to the office, we would help you get things done properly so the permit would go through first time. But the not nice guy decided he could do it all on his own, so it took him three tries. Had he come to the office, I would have given him the same service as others, but he decided to take the hard route, and therefore I didn't give a single inch when it came to the submission being perfectly correct. Ultimately, the situation was resolved, but it took a lot more effort than it should have. Moral of the story, don't be an entitled homophobic jerk. Well, if you didn't know what floodplains were, guys, now you do. Uh, a lot of technical stuff in that one. But if you got through that okay, then fair play to you. And also fair play to me for reading it. I've got to say, although it was technical and what you did was great, yeah, the main issue here is that there's clear homophobia going on. I think what you're inferring is that if this couple weren't gay then none of this would have really been an issue in the first place, which is just horrible to see in 2022. Cheat on me with my best friend? I'll wreck your career and publicly humiliate both of you. Shathid and Sarah have been like family to my wife and I for several years, practically ever since we moved in across the street from them. The four of us were extremely tight. Our kids are the same age as theirs and are all good friends. We were one big family unit. We did dinner together a few times a week. We went on vacations together. I truly saw Shathid as a brother and my wife and Sarah were very close too. Five months ago, I was completely blindsided by the discovery of an affair between my wife and Shathid. My wife had left her email open on our computer and I saw an email from her to her longtime therapist saying that Shathid would be joining her at an upcoming session again. Uh, what the frick? My mind started racing. Why in the world would Shathid be going to her therapy sessions without my knowledge? I did a search and found some other emails to and from the therapist proving that Shathid had been going to sessions together with her for about six weeks. I checked our mobile phone account and discovered that since late summer, they'd been exchanging hundreds of texts every day, peaking at nearly 500 per day by the holidays. Speaking of the holidays, my wife and I hosted both both of our families, parents, siblings, etc., for both Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner. And Shathid and Sarah joined us either for dinner or after dinner on both holidays. Text records show that the entire time that they were at our house celebrating with our families, my wife and Shathid were texting each other across the room. They were doing that pretty much every time the four of us hung out for months. And, you know, all day, every day, just in general. But what bothers me the most is that they were doing it with Sarah and I right there. I confronted my wife with the evidence and she admitted that, yes, she and Shathid had fallen in love. It just happened. I don't know how, but I love him and I just don't feel anything for you anymore. I'm sorry. They'd gone on a school district trip together. Something had happened in her hotel room and things had moved quickly from there. She explained as I lay face down on the couch, unable to look at her, that they'd already made plans to move out and divorce me and Sarah. And while they didn't plan to move in together immediately because of the kids, they'd probably do so eventually. The meetings with the therapist were supposedly mostly for the purpose of finding a way to break this to me and Sarah as gently as possible because they were so very concerned for our well-being. Sarah and I are fairly certain that they weren't planning on telling us about the affair at all and were simply going to discover their feelings for one another several months down the line after they come up with some other reason to divorce the two of us. Yeah, I have to agree here. That seems way more likely. I can't believe what she's saying. Oh, we were so concerned for your guys' health and well-being that we weren't going to tell you about the brutal affair we were having in front of your eyes. My wife moved out two months ago. I was and still am utterly destroyed. I cry every day. I cried right in the first few paragraphs of this story just now. I worry nonstop about the impact on our kids, but I'm also not exactly a shrinking violet when I feel that I've been wronged. And in this case, I was, objectively, very, very wronged. So a couple of years ago, Shathid ran for a board of education seat as a pretty extreme underdog. I helped him with his campaign materials and debate prep, and my wife, a well-known school district employee, this becomes important later, got the word out as best she could. Much to our surprise, he actually won in a squeaker by just a few dozen votes. 
Being on the board became the center of Shafid's world. He joined every committee that he could. This turned into the foundation of his affair with my wife, as they were constantly going to school events and meetings together on evenings and weekends. Once I discovered the affair, my thoughts turned pretty quickly to revenge, and it occurred to me that an extramarital affair between a member of the Board of Education and an employee of the school district was at least bad politics, and it possibly violated district policy. Making things far worse for them was that my wife was in the running for an open administrative position, and everyone knew that she was more or less guaranteed the job and the major pay raise that came with it. She just finished her master's degree in school administration at the urging of her principal and the superintendent so that she could be promoted to this specific position. I had plenty of evidence of the affair. Text from both of them admitting to it, text records showing that they were texting hundreds of times a day, emails to and from the therapist, etc. I considered simply emailing all of the evidence to the board and the superintendent, but felt like I, as the grieving, betrayed spouse, might not be seen as a credible source. So instead, I invented a fictitious, furious friend who was planning on showing up to the next board meeting and publicly shaming the two of them for their affair. I told my wife that I'd try to talk this person down, but couldn't guarantee that they wouldn't show up and humiliate them publicly. As I expected, this led Shathir to conclude that the only option was for him to preemptively admit the affair to the board. The superintendent subsequently recommended that Shathid resign, which he did. Sarah said that he was utterly humiliated and crushed and barely got out of bed for a few days afterwards. Once word of the affair and Shathid's resignation started getting around, the superintendent, a longtime friend of both my wife and Shathid, contacted my wife and tearfully informed her that it was no longer politically appropriate for her to be promoted to an administrative position within the district. The position that had been lined up for her was later filled by an outside candidate. This sent waves of confusion and rumor throughout the district as it was pretty well known that my wife was getting the job. The day after she was informed that she wasn't getting the promotion, my wife and I, despite our crumbling marriage, took our son out to breakfast together on his birthday and her parents stopped by our table to congratulate her on her new role. She said thanks, then excused herself to go cry in the bathroom for a while. I let the dust settle for a couple of weeks and then right before my wife moved out, let them in on my little secret. There was never a furious friend threatening to expose them in the first place. Just me. Word of all of this had gone around our fairly small town, which Shathid grew up in and my wife has worked in for nearly 20 years. My wife refuses to talk to me about how things are at work now, but I've heard from some people I know in the district that her formerly spotless reputation has taken a major hit. Shathid, formerly a gregarious social presence in our neighborhood and at events and pubs in town, has completely gone underground and barely emerges to mow his lawn. He's moving out soon to a trashy little townhouse, which is all he can afford due to all the child support he's going to have to pay his wife. My wife and Shathid claim that they plan on trying to make things work together, despite all the public humiliation. I wish them lots of luck with that. I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun to show their faces together in town. And there we go. That is the conclusion of the post. But before we get into some analysis and commentary, Opie has actually answered a couple of questions. First of all, are you and Sarah a thing now? You should totally be a thing. That would be awesome. No, we're friends. We've been incredibly important to each other since this all started and have certainly gotten a lot closer, but not in the way everyone's thinking. This would all be so much harder to deal with if I didn't have her to lean on and she says she feels the same way about me. We're going through basically the exact same situation with the same players, after all. Shafid hasn't moved out yet. Once he does, we plan to go back to getting the kids together more often like they're used to. It'll never be the same, of course. She already does come over with the kids from time to time, but it's just tough with Shafid's constant presence across the street. Next question, didn't your revenge hurt both sets of kids? 
Well, not really. Shafid has a day job. The board of education was his hobby and his passion, but this didn't affect his income at all. And my wife has been assured that if she wants to pursue an administrative position with another district, she'll have glowing letters of recommendation from her superintendent and principal. It'll mean giving up a lot of work relationships in the process, but given the hit her reputation has taken, I'm guessing she makes that jump sooner rather than later. In the meantime, not moving to an administrative job means that she still has summers off with the kids. Third question, why do you call her your wife instead of your former wife? Well, we're working our way through divorce mediation, but it isn't final yet. We'll be soon. And then the final question, why didn't you notice all of the texting your wife was doing? Well, I did. It was really starting to annoy me. It was excessive. She has a big social circle and does tend to text a lot anyway, but it was really getting over the top. At one point in November, I asked her to agree to a no phones at the dinner table rule, which she agreed to reluctantly, but would then pout through dinner and eventually she just started using her phone during dinner again. All that said, I was blind. Not only was the texting getting weird, but her relationship with Shathid was starting to make me uncomfortable. Sarah noticed it too and agreed. We actually confronted them a couple of times about it directly and they both swore up and down that it was just school stuff they were talking about, nothing else was going on and for whatever reason, we believed them probably because the mind tends to refuse to see things that it doesn't want to see. Now, incredibly, the post I've just read there was posted over four years ago on Reddit on r slash pro revenge. However, just a few days ago, OP posted an update. That's right, an update on a pro revenge story that's over four years old. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it before, but stay tuned because that is coming up. Now, as for this initial story on its own, my thoughts are this. First of all, how exceptionally sad. These two are just disgusting. I mean, look, cheating is one thing, right? And we can all agree that's a pretty bad thing to do but cheating in front of your partners together in the same room like messaging and texting when your wife and your husband respectively are there is actually nuts how can you how can you with any sort of conscience do that i have no idea like i'm not gonna lie i struggle to understand how people cheat in the first place unless they're in a really like dark place mentally to be honest with you or they just feel like they have no other option i mean genuinely i've never done it and i don't see myself ever doing it maybe that's a naive thing to say i don't know But this is one step further. Doing it knowing that your partner is in the same room as you. It's unbelievable. And then as I mentioned during that story, because I just simply had to mention it at that point, the fact that you've said, oh no, we were trying to work out how to tell you, but we knew it would really hurt you. So we just didn't tell you. Like, is that not the most dumb logic you've ever heard in your life? For me, it's gotta be. As for your revenge OP, I've gotta say, genius. Making them self-destruct themselves is great because it just means that you didn't have to do anything. Like they did it for you. Lovely stuff. Anyway, with that being said, let's get on to this update four years later, just literally a few days ago at the time of recording. So where to start? It's been a bizarre few years, especially with COVID thrown in the mix, which I somehow still have never caught, despite my kids getting it twice each. Thankfully, just mild cases. Well, at the time that I posted the original story, I was obviously a wreck. Things actually got significantly darker for a while after that. My ex decided to start bringing Shathid around our kids just a few months after she moved out, which was really hard for me to deal with. I'd never really dealt with serious depression before, but things got bad enough that my doctor more or less forced me to start on an antidepressant because I admitted to him that I was thinking about suicide pretty frequently. I think this is where I should mention trigger warning for the rest of this paragraph. I actually had a very specific plan and everything I needed to do it. The one thing that gave me any kind of relief was telling myself that if life got any more unbearable, I had a way out. So yeah, it got bad, but I'm still here. And thankfully, I don't think about that option anymore. I reluctantly decided to dip my toe into the online dating world. And after a number of short-term things that didn't pan out, I actually connected with someone. We'll have been together for two years next month. 
She is absolutely amazing. We don't live together, and for the time being, we're both good with seeing each other a few times a week. Would I love to see her more? Yep. Am I ready to live with someone again and go all Brady Bunch with our respective kids? I'm not sure. For the time being, we have a lot of fun together, and that's more than good enough for me. As far as things stand with my ex and Shathid, they're still together. But there seems to be trouble in paradise, because my kids report that they almost never see him anymore. My kids don't like him at all, and they just avoid him when he's around, according to my older one. When all of this started, she'd seem confident that they'd be living together pretty soon, but they still don't. And as far as I know, there are no plans in the works for it. They did buy a boat together, which I find hilarious for some reason. It just seems like the classic affair couple thing to do. Sarah took a long time to accept that her marriage was truly over. But once she did, she really did an admirable job of moving on. She engrossed herself in home improvement projects. She remains the same incredible mum that she's always been. And she's been in a FWB type relationship, which is all she wants right now, with a nice funny guy for almost two years. We hang out here and there, especially when my pool is open in the summer. We aren't nearly as dependent on each other as we were in the beginning, but we're still close friends. And no, still nothing more than that, which I'm glad about, because the one thing this situation definitely never needed was more drama. My ex left the school district she was working for and took a job in a neighboring district. I've no idea what Shathid is up to, nor do I care. I hardly ever see him except at the occasional school event. For a while there, I was worried that he'd look at me the wrong way and I'd wind up in jail for knocking him out in an elementary school cafeteria or something. But I just don't care enough about him anymore for that to be a concern. So all in all, life is pretty okay right now. I do miss being a family. I still have nightmares about all of this stuff and deal with intrusive thoughts at times. I fall asleep to audiobooks now to keep those thoughts at bay. Otherwise, I still struggle to sleep sometimes. But my girlfriend is amazing. I have an incredibly supportive family. I just officiated my sister's wedding a couple of months ago. And I have a big dog who needs lots of walks. And that's a huge help for me on so many levels. And if you're lucky enough to be watching on YouTube, here is your dog tax. Look at that cute little dog. I mean, to be fair, it's actually quite a sizable dog. Very cute nonetheless. And if you're not on YouTube and you want to come and see the dog, link is down in the description. So there we go. I tell you what, I really enjoy that update because it's very rare that we get an update like that, especially so long after the actual event takes place. And I love the honesty of it as well, because you see some of these stories and then people are like, oh yeah, now I feel great again. But let's be honest, like going through that sort of an event that would change your life so much for the worst at first anyway, is going to have such a lasting impact. I love the honesty of OP saying it actually got worse before it got better and they went to a really, really dark place. And even now, four years later, they still to listen to audiobooks to help them sleep at night because you know it makes sense you wouldn't expect someone to be like oh yeah now i'm amazing best i've ever felt ideally they'd be in that spot but it just seems a bit unlikely to me that someone would be like oh i'm so much better now just a few months years whatever afterwards yeah love the honesty i mean i'm not saying eventually that op won't get to that spot and i really hope he does and sarah does as well and it seems like you've moved on to a significant level but yeah you'd still be deeply hurt by this i'm sure for a good amount of time afterwards and it's nice to see someone actually admit that use me cheat on me enjoy losing your friends and family and have fun being ignored at work bonus points for possibly becoming homeless I just found out two days ago that my boyfriend of four years is gay. Our relationship was a lie. He used me to cover his sexuality because he wasn't ready to expose himself. He told me that himself. He pretended to love me for four years. He acted like the perfect boyfriend for four years. We were discussing marriage and kids. He even took me to look at engagement rings. All the while, he was having an affair with a man. To top all of that off, his boy toy called me two hours after I walked in on them. Why? To tell me that he was bi and that we could all just be together. Are you kidding me? I didn't know if he was making fun of me or if he was really stupid enough to think that was a good idea. 
but yeah. If you're gay but act straight, I freaking hate you. What's worse is that my family believes I should have been nicer to him because gay people have it rough enough already. So because he's gay, then I can't be mad. I can't be angry. I need to be nicer to him. After his boy toy called, I texted my now ex if he was seriously making fun of me and he just said that it wouldn't be a bad idea. So I lost it. His mum and I were very close. So I texted her a lengthy message explaining what happened. And I told her that I can't stay in contact with her, at least not for the time being. She was shocked, but understanding of why I needed to go no contact. Well, his parents disowned him. Not for being gay, but because of what he did to me. The idiot went on social media to complain that his parents disowned him for being gay, but multiple family members commented and exposed him for the trashy human being that he is. Some of his co-workers had him on Facebook and TikTok and they saw everything. And now no one at work talks to him because of what he did to me. His friends were disgusted when they found out. His friends always liked me and they're also really big on monogamy. So they didn't want to be friends after they learned the truth. He needs to move out because we live together and now he can't afford rent on his own But his budget is very tight. So he doesn't have many options and they broke up My ex had a fit when his mum called him in retaliation He broke the tv my laptop cut some of the clothes. I still had at the apartment and smashed the coffee machine So yeah His boyfriend didn't like this outburst and he ended things. And yes, I am suing him for the damages. Okay, now let's get immediately into the update here because as you can tell, that first post was written very quickly after the event and OP has some following, maybe calmer thoughts. I want to start by saying that I wrote this post in a state of anger and I was too emotional to realize how bad it sounded. I do not hate gay people. I have no problems with the community. I'm sorry if I came across as a homophobic idiot. I really am not. I was just so emotional, so I'd like to apologize. I understand the community is going through a lot and I didn't want to come out as insensitive, so I'm sorry. Okay, that's good to hear. Not gonna lie, when she said, if you're gay but act straight, I freaking hate you, I was thinking, okay, maybe a little bit too far. Anyway, let's carry on. Okay, now the actual updates. I received some comments and PMs from people that advised me to get a restraining order and make sure he can't find me. I unfortunately Unfortunately, didn't consider them enough and as some predicted he followed me from my best friend's place to the grocery store and he trashed my car I'm talking slash tires broken windows and what I think is oil all over my car Thankfully, the parking lot has cameras and the police identified him in no time. He was arrested. I'm definitely filing for a restraining order and I'm looking to move to a different city. I will have to see him again in the courtroom though. Also, his ex-boy toy agreed to testify that he witnessed my ex breaking my things at the apartment. My ex is also going to be examined by a professional due to his actions. It appears that he may be suffering from some mental illnesses. I've contacted his parents and they are in shock, but they still refuse to have any contact with him. And there we go. A very interesting story to start today's episode. Now look, this man is obviously not the first man in history to secretly be gay, but be in a relationship or be married to a woman. As we saw not too long ago in the UK, a famous TV presenter, Philip Schofield, who was in the thumbnail of this video, came out as gay despite being married for decades and having children. Now, when he came out, he got so much support. People saying that he was so brave and courageous for doing so, which I completely agree with. But on the other hand, how about his wife in that situation? How about OP in this spot, you know? They're the ones that have kind of just been left in the dirt and maybe lied to for years. Now, with that TV presenter, you could argue it's different because he is actually a nice guy and still gets on with his wife and family, etc., etc. But in this story, yeah, this guy is just an absolute disgrace. But like, there's one thing realizing you're gay at some point during your relationship. It's another thing cheating on your partner with a man and still telling them that you're straight. You know, that is way too far. And then breaking all your stuff and hunting you down and pretty much stalking you and destroying your car. Yeah, get that man in prison. That's ridiculous. Lying and using people, I got you. 
This one needs background to fully understand why I went out of my way for this revenge. My best friend was married for 10 years, with his ex for a total of 13 years. He was absolutely head over heels in love with her like I'd never seen before, which I never understood due to her alcohol abuse. She would take it out on him, and when he'd be venting about it, he'd always fall back on, it's not her, it's the illness, a very respectable and admirable stance on it. Last year, she asked for a divorce, because after years of what I would call abuse, he had simply run out of gas. Her reasoning for asking for one? When she got fired for testing positive for weed, he wasn't empathetic enough. He admits he wasn't because it had come on the back of one of her drunken tirades where she told him he was a POS who was always trying to control her. When all he ever tried to get her away from was booze for the way she treated him when she was drunk. It took him forever to move on from this with the divorce following shortly after. And earlier this year, after thinking he was moving on, he calls me to come over and he's in a bad way. I arrive and he's absolutely full down level of drunk going on that she didn't ask for a divorce for those reasons that she'd really been cheating with several other people the next morning when he's more coherent i ask him how he knew he was cleaning out the spare room and selling and donating stuff he didn't need anymore and when he went to clear an old tablet she was still logged in and all of the evidence was there he gets that out and says he's going back to bed and asks me to lock up when i leave Before I left, I looked at the tablet, and after seeing what I saw, I wanted to find a way to get even with the horrible and conniving woman. So I took pictures of it all and left. When I got home, I started looking up information about these people. Two of them were just normal guys. Whether they knew she was married or not, I don't know. But the third, well, the third comes up as a registered sex offender. Still on probation for being such a disgusting POS. An address listed as 123 Lane City States. This chomo knew that she was married. I immediately knew what I was going to do. This chomo didn't live at 123 Lane. The chomo was living with the conniving ex. She made regular posts about their time together. On top of that, she is an avid weed user and has several firearms because she enjoys sports shooting. So I go into the state sex offender site and make a report of the chomo not actually living where he's registered and that he's actually living in a home in which he has no right to be in given that he's a convicted felon and on parole i include screenshots of the social media posts and all to back it up i was thinking little would happen but an inconvenience to their lives boy was i wrong she broke her typical post with nothing serious trend on social media yesterday with this gem my year can't get any worse the tromo lost his job and i'm now facing eviction because i can't afford my rents so i go on the state court system site to see if it's related and yes it was he was rearrested. She clearly can't post bail or the choma would be out. The job she took after being fired definitely can't support her lifestyle. So he's probably going back to prison or at least jail and she is a breath away from being homeless. I don't know if I'd ever tell my best friend I was the one behind this, but he's definitely ecstatic to see a horrible woman and sewer rat get what they deserve. Yeah, nuts revenge, but very justified, especially given that this person was actually doing something illegal. To be honest, I'm not sure I'd tell him it was you who did it. Just let him be. As you said, that he's happy that the woman is going through a tough time because he thinks that she deserves it. And yes, she definitely does. So there's no real need for you to say it was you. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy the misery that is now in her life. I mean, overall, I think we can all agree that we'd love to have a friend like OP in our lives to do things like this. This is unbelievable fair play. Make false accusations, lose your business. For some background, I used to work at a small to mid-sized law firm. At the time, there were 10 lawyers, including the owner. 
His setup was basically do as little work as possible and just take a cut from the rest of us as independent contractors. He was very much a, it doesn't matter what they can afford, build as much as you can type scumbag. One thing the firm handled was real estate law. I already looked after any real estate transactions, save maybe two to three per year over the two years I worked there. At the time he decided to let me go, he made a list of reasons, all of which were fabricated. Client complaints, missed court dates, etc. It came down to me asking for a bigger cut and him not wanting to have to pay it. I felt it wasn't worth going after him in court. However, shortly after my contract was terminated, I was reviewing my insurance and stumbled upon the fact that no less than 60 real estate transactions were filed with my bar under my name. Well, one of the rules where I practice is that in a situation like this, my name has to be on the retainer agreement and I have to have worked on the file in some capacity. So having a friend or two at the firm who were practically one foot out the door already, I got many of the phone numbers for these clients that weren't mine and asked for a copy of their retainer for my records. Most of them had no problem sending a copy. Obviously, I was on none of them. I quickly contacted the Bar Association. The whole thing ended up being a mess for this guy. Besides an intensely scrutinized audit, it turned out that he'd done this for every lawyer in the firm. He eventually was ordered to pay an absolutely insane fine, thinking high six figures, and had his license suspended for a few years. The firm shut down and he never went on to practice again. Felt good. Look, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If there is one industry in which it makes no sense to try and cheat your workers or pretty much anyone out of anything, surely it has to be law, right? The people you've employed know their stuff. If you do something illegal like this, then you're obviously going to get sued by the people involved because they are lawyers. It just doesn't make any sense, right? Surely this will be the last industry you want to do this in. I mean, maybe people like this boss are just that dumb that they think, oh, I don't think that the people I employ for being good at law are going to be good at law when I do something bad on them. Like, it just makes no sense to me, clearly. How dumb have you got to be? I created a point of interest on Google Maps to annoy wealthy Karen neighbors. I live in a non-gated neighborhood that previously had one road both in and out. My neighborhood also has two schools on this one road. The traffic is ridiculous during rush hour or when schools get in or out. There's always been a public works plan to build a secondary exit from my neighborhood. It just so happens to connect to the main road by going through a portion of a also non-gated wealthier neighborhood behind us. Fast forward, the public roadway gets built as planned. And as expected, people in my neighborhood start using it to avoid the traffic on the other busier road. It legit shaves 15 to 20 minutes off any commute or drive. The people in this neighborhood have began posting to theirs and our Facebook page with the most ridiculous things and have gone to protest to their city council. Some examples to give you guys an idea are, they are ruining our lives by driving through daily. This road has derailed mine and my wife's life plans. They're currently attempting to petition the city to rule the road emergency use only and are also filing a lawsuit against the city, supposedly. They have several folks who will legit take photos of cars driving through and will count how many cars per day drive through. They've also tried to send my neighborhood HOA bills for the road, which, mind you, is a 100% public road that they did not even pay for. The latest thing is that they're saying this road is a gift from them. Overall, they're just pretentious folks, to be honest. I don't know why they think they're somehow entitled to anything. Now, I'm not a jerk. I totally get how this could be annoying for them, but they have generalized my entire neighborhood as public enemy number one. And to be honest, I just think it's hilarious. So, we made a point of interest on Google Maps called Shortcut to Davis Ranch and have been reviewing it five stars with the most hilarious comments. The goal being that anytime they look at their maps, they see this mention of the road they despise so much. Now, guys, you might be thinking, okay, yeah, sure you have, mate. Sure, this is just for a Reddit post. No, 
have a look at this if you are watching on youtube what you can see here is the ranch okay this is it right op gave us a link and this is it now here is where it gets interesting i'm going to zoom out a little bit and just come over here slightly to the shortcut this is it this is the shortcut they made i think so there's two rows now instead of one and this is what all the discussion and you know controversy is about now if you click on the shortcut to davis ranch you can see over here 4.9 star rating 21 reviews including this one from adam norton just a few days ago five stars i've heard nothing but great things about this shortcut one of the absolute best i'm told if i lived nearby i would take it constantly plan to visit soon just to try it out oh and then another one nice shortcut too bad it goes through such ugly houses though it is what it is that's three stars. I mean, this one's great from Kristen. Great shortcut with a generous freelance photographer. So good. So petty. Fantastic route with friendly onlookers 24-7. Highly recommend this as a drag racing spot. The best gift I've received all year. Nothing on my Christmas list will top it. The best gift in my life. Guys, there's actually free things in this world. I still have faith in humanity. I mean, just, just so good. So, so good. I love it all. Insane shortcut. I love barreling down the road at 75 miles an hour. Brilliant. You know, reading all these reviews has made me think I might just post one myself. So here we go. Five stars. What should we say? Simply the best road slash shortcut in the history of roads slash shortcuts. I am traveling to the US this Christmas solely to use this shortcut every day and experience its majesty i think that will do post okay there we go and there it is looks wonderful i trained a senior colleague to do what i want without him ever knowing i used to work in a role where i administrated the security access card system for a huge office an obnoxious colleague used to take a shortcut from the lobby through a meeting room and out the other side to his desk but in doing so he would leave the meeting room's entrance door open which was sound an alarm once he left the area i sat in the lobby near the door he left open and i was the one who had to get up and close it for him he didn't respond to polite requests to stop so i disabled his access pass but only on the second door which is closest to his desk he'd walk through the meeting room get six feet from his desk and be declined by the door this caused him to have to walk back to me to ask if something was wrong with his access i'd ask him to close the shortcut door he'd opened alarm now sounding and he always did then i'd act confused and say why don't you try it on that other door over there and direct him to the proper entrance to the office area which had a mysterious 100 success rate for letting him through i simulated an intermittent technical error by deactivating his card and then reactivating it for well over 12 months and i acted dumb anytime he questioned it I've asked ICT about it, but nobody knows, mate. Who knows how these systems work? Sometimes he'd forget his personal pass and I'd issue him a visitor pass and disable that on his shortcut too, which added an extra layer of obfuscation. Sometimes I'd allow him to use his shortcut and I'd happily close the door behind him, knowing that it was all part of his education. Eventually, he learned that it was always quicker to walk straight to the proper entrance and he stopped taking the shortcut and stopped leaving the alarm door near me open and he never found out that I trained him. Yeah, I guess that just proves that humans are animals capable of being trained by others. Uh, unreal. I mean, the fact that you didn't just do it in the first place is kind of silly, even when asked. But yeah, if you didn't do it, then you had to train him. 
wonderful stuff. I'm just kind of surprised by this guy. Like, how did he not know the whole time that something fishy was going on? Especially when you had asked him in the first place to stop doing that, right? Maybe given that he was dumb enough in the first place to not stop doing what you've asked him to stop doing, he was also dumb enough to literally be trained by you. I tipped my ex-friend and bully as petty revenge. To start, this girl and I were best friends the first half of high school. However, something changed in her. She became depressed and suicidal because she was being severely bullied online. I reported what she told me to both the school counselors and her parents, and I told her that I told them. She decided I betrayed her and suddenly became a bully towards me. Ironically, she became friends with the girls who bullied us both right after. She later found out they were the online bullies too. My first job was front end at a restaurant and she knew when and where I worked So she made it a point to show up at my work where I really couldn't do much I had to serve her and her new friends She saw me coming and said to not expect a tip because service industry workers are servants who don't need to be paid That stuck with me for years. I told my manager that I refused to serve her or them ever again My manager was fine with it at that point as i'd made comments before From that day on, I never spoke to my ex-friend for years. Now recently, I went to my hometown in a local restaurant. Lo and behold, my waiter is my ex-friend. Again, I haven't spoken to her at all since that day that she basically said I was her servant. I decided to get petty revenge by killing her with kindness. I was polite, but never acknowledged that I knew her. She kept saying she swears she recognizes me from somewhere. I kept brushing the question off. Then came the bill. When the receipt for the tip came, I put a note on it that said, First and former last name Do you still think service industry workers are servants who don't need to be paid with a 100% tip on a $40 ish meal as I walked out I saw her face as she read the notes. She turned very very red I think my kind petty revenge got to her. Oh, wow. That is actually so much better than I thought it was going to be. I thought that you were going to do the same thing that she did to you and give you zero tip. But what you actually did was, first of all, way more petty in a way because it proves that you can give money. And it's also like in many ways stronger than if you hadn't. It shows her that you were just in a much better place. If you had done the same thing as she did to you, It would have come across as like super jealous full of hatred i guess but what you did actually just shows that you're just on another level right now like you're living your life doing whatever you're doing but being able to afford a 40 dollar tip on a meal and she's waiting nothing wrong with waiting but you know there are levels to this game and that is an unbelievable kick in the face it's like it doesn't get any classier than that it's just so good it also probably makes her feel way worse about it than it would have done if you given her nothing genius absolutely love that revenge boss missed out on a hundred million us dollars for treating his employee poorly i used to work at a consulting company in asia owned by a baby boomer european guy let's call the company cog and the owner richard to give a brief background richard spent his entire career working in the hospitality industry for various hotel brands all over the world At one point, he specialized in one niche area in the industry and set up a consulting firm to provide consultancy to his business connections. The company employees were majority expats. I spent my entire career working in the financial industry, and I'm quite a specialist in the field of capital market fundraising. Richard approached me with a great plan to list one of his properties in North America in a stock market. At that time, it seemed to be a good project. He also offered me a management position in the company he set up to deal with the listing process and a good salary in comparison to the job that I had at the time. The agreement stated that if any party would like to terminate this agreement, they need to inform the other party three months in advance. Failure to do so will cost the party who initiated the termination a penalty fee equal to three months salary. This will be relevant later. Unfortunately, I joined the company at the worst possible time, the year end of 2019. 
Initially, things were all right. Richard spent only one to two days a week at the office and spent the rest of the week abroad to acquire new businesses. However, as everyone knows, a few months after that, the COVID pandemic hit the hospitality sectors globally. Richard lost all his business deals in the pipeline. His property in North America was also shut down. The only income stream for the company was payments from the existing contracts. Richard got stuck in the office for seven days a week with not much money in the bank account. This is when he showed his true characteristics. So firstly, despite the government's highly encouraged work from home policy, Richard was dissatisfied with the idea. As a boomer, he wanted to see his employees working all the time. He called anyone who chose to work from home lazy and cowardly. In addition, he would randomly call them several times a day on non-important issues just to ensure everyone was at the desk all the time. Furthermore, he would assign lots of non-necessary tasks, remember all business deals were cancelled, to these people to do, so they would need to stay very late to finish the work. Secondly, he cut off 20-30% to salary for all employees, including himself. This seemed acceptable at the time, given the economic conditions. However, this will come up later. And finally, he'd just be annoyed at anyone in the company who mentioned any news about the pandemic. He just wanted to pretend that nothing severe happened and that things would be back to normal soon. Due to the pandemic and the financial status of the company, my role significantly shifted from getting a company listed to selling our assets to whoever gives the right price. Thus, the company can survive. During these months, I had to work closely with the company CFO, called Fatty. Fatty had a very impressive resume with a degree from an Ivy League university. However, for some reason, there was nothing inside that brain. He could talk about all the financial jargon all day long, but he couldn't understand even the basic concepts of those words. Fatty would make mistakes all the time and trouble other colleagues. For some odd reason, Fatty would receive only minor criticism from Richard. Conversely, if other employees made one out of the 10 mistakes that Fatty did, they would receive harsh criticism. We were approached by various buyers. One of them was one of the largest real estate developers in this country. Let's call it Mackey. We had a few meetings with senior execs from Mackey to present our North American properties. They seemed to be interested in investing $100 million in acquiring the property, but then they just disappeared. Later on, we were approached by a private equity firm. Let's call it Dummy. Rather than acquiring the property, Dummy made an offer for shares of COG. As a result, a series of due diligence occurred. I had to lead the deal from my side. During the process of document preparation, I found various histories about Richard and COG. Richard always claimed to his potential clients that his company had been involved in various projects worth billions of dollars in the past. It was partially true. However, his participation was very limited to less than 1% of those projects. There were a few projects that COG played a vital role in. However, those projects were relatively small. To make matters worse, 100% of them failed before completion. There were various companies that Richard claimed to have co-founded or was a part of the key management. However, there were no official records of that. And by digging into financial statements, I found out that he paid back all the money he saved from cutting employees' salaries into his personal account as a form of bonus. I felt horrible for working for such a phony. However, at that time, it was Q4 in 2020. It was way too difficult to get a new job in the middle of the pandemic. The last straw came when we were about to submit the financial model to Dummy to set the valuation. I developed a financial model which would calculate all the potential deals into the valuation. All I need was the input of pipeline data from Fatty. After I plugged in the data, Richard asked Fatty to help review it. Fatty complained to everyone that the model was wrong and there were so many mistakes. When I checked, all those mistakes that he mentioned came from those inputs he provided to me. Garbage in, garbage out. I informed Richard that it was not my mistake, but Fatty's. However, Richard criticized me for not being responsible for my own mistakes and said that even though it was Fatty's mistake, I was still responsible to verify it. 
Well, how on earth could I verify the correctness of the raw data? I wanted to quit so badly at this point. Remember the three month notice period? This is where it became relevant. Throughout 2020, various employees quit. However, the term became a pain in the butt. First of all, it would be highly difficult for anyone to find potential employers who'd be willing to wait for three months until the notice period is served. Thus, employees had to either pay the penalty fees or put in their resignation in advance before starting to look for a job. For the locals, we could take the risk of staying at home with no job. However, the expats needed to choose to either take a risk in leaving the country or to pay the fees. Most chose to do the latter. The worst thing I experienced about this contract clause was when one of my colleagues, who was one of the first employees at this company, decided to quit because her grandmother was about to die in a few weeks. Therefore, she wanted to go back home as soon as possible and spend the remaining time with her grandmother. Yet, Richard insisted that she needed to pay the penalty fee. In every meeting, Richard would try his best to scare everyone by talking about those companies that went bankrupt and trying to remind us to be grateful for even having jobs. I held my grudge and waited patiently until February 2021. The pandemic became better and employers started hiring again. I got three offers within the second week of the month. Based on the situation, I knew that I would eventually get a job either in these three companies or somewhere else. Thus, I submitted my resignation, which would be effective in May. Richard was furious. He knew he couldn't lose me at this stage since I was the only one who could execute with dummy, but he was too arrogant to admit it. Instead, he gave me the worst counter-offer discussion anyone could have. He said that I was a coward for jumping away from the crisis, and I would be a failure all my life if I choose to walk away now. He tried to talk about all the deals that would be coming, and I would miss out on working on those projects. He said that I should ignore the higher salary that other companies might offer. The pandemic was harsh for everyone. I should stay to see the company's greatness. In the meantime, I could ask for money from my parents, or my wife's parents, Your own boss is telling you this, my word. Needless to say, the conversation did not change my mind even a bit. When all those efforts failed, he brought up the three-month notice period. He said that no company would be willing to wait three months and that I needed to pay a penalty fee to him if I quit. Unfortunately, this was when his own policy backfired. I intentionally did all the stupid mistakes that Fatty did. When he complained, I simply responded, it was his responsibility to verify the information that I submitted. I did my job very slowly. Thus, he basically had to pay me three months salary for the work I normally completed in a week. And whenever he complained, I told him that he could fire me at any time. In that case, he would need to pay me a three month salary as a penalty fee. For a person who always takes advantage of his employees, he probably wanted to scream at me. However, that was not the best part yet. By the end of April, HR from Mackie approached me. She said that she got my contact from a business card I gave to the senior executives several months ago. It turned out that the executives were very impressed with my skills. They wanted to hire a new vice president and viewed me as a high potential candidate. I took the offer and started working two weeks later. A few months later, Richard tried to use all his connections to reach Mackie's chairman to propose his North American property once again. The chairman assigned my team to review the property one more time. Last time, they were interested, but they didn't want to make an acquisition in the middle of the pandemic. But this time, they felt the timing might be right and would like to explore in more detail. My boss assigned me to look after the projects. Since I knew everything about the property, he let me decide whether we should move forward with the deal. To be honest, the property was fine and Richard had improved the property's performance very well since his acquisition. However, a year ago when we first approached Mackie, Richard explained to me how he'd screw every penny out of Mackie's pockets. To avoid criticizing Richard directly, I didn't want to look like a guy who badmouthed his ex-employer, I pointed out all the loopholes within the business model and explained that we could be taken advantage of from these loopholes if we proceed. 
being a smart man, my new boss could sense something fishy about Richard, so he asked me to speak more about my experience. I told him about some of Richard's unethical behaviors mentioned above. Mackie management not only decided not to invest in COG's properties, but they also blacklisted COG and Richard from being potential vendors. And there we go. That is the end of that one. You know what they say about karma? What goes around comes back around. And it sounds like Richard brought this upon himself. Really, he did. The beauty of this story is that he doesn't even necessarily know you had anything to do with it. Maybe he knows your new role. Maybe he doesn't. I'm not entirely sure. But one thing's for sure. I doubt that he knew that you were the one telling your new boss. Yeah, uh, my ex-boss who's in charge of that part of the deal. Uh, he's not the most ethical man. Let me tell you that. I know some revenge stories are fantastic when someone is very active in the revenge, right? And does it all themselves and lets the person they're doing the revenge on know about it. But there's something so beautiful about it being so secret. Opie, you were actively assisting in karma. Well, you're at the forefront here, but without Richard really even knowing, and it wasn't even vindictive. You were just doing your job. I guess that's why it's pro-revenge, and I guess that's why I love it so much. Right then, let's get into our second story of today's revenge episode. Now, as a little bonus for staying through the first one, I'm going to give you something extra special. This is some nuclear revenge. One too many times. When I was younger, especially throughout middle school, I dealt with bullying and toxicity constantly. I've never been much of a Reddit user, but I decided to post my story after watching some of these on YouTube. This situation happened when I was in seventh grade. During that time, I was progressively bullied by a group of kids that I will call the Goonies. Now, I'm not a small person and I never have been. Around that time, I was around 5'11 and 150 pounds. Although I'm a bit big for my age, I've never been one to fight back. I have impulse control issues and ADHD. So when I get worked up, I have a hard time calming down or I go overboard. Even so, I can mostly hold back my emotions when on medication. So the Goonies, the group of kids who constantly made my life hard throughout my school experience. This group compromised five or six kids, mostly small and on the football team, but due to their numbers, they had an advantage over most people in my school. They preyed consistently on people who were without a group. Most of the time, they just took food items during lunch and asked for money from others. On the bad days, they would fight and take whatever they wanted. They'd been preying on me and my group of friends for a while, mostly talking trash and taking food. This time was different though. I'd worn my grandfather's chain and cross to school that I'd gotten as inheritance when he passed the week before. When I tell you it meant a lot to me, it did. My grandfather was my pride and joy. We had the best relationship as my father was mostly out of town working. Now he's never been in the best health, but he got lung cancer a few months before and passed on. The chain was all I really had besides some model train sets and a ukulele. That day, I wore my chain to remove some of the grief I was feeling from his passing to make it through the day. My friends knew about the passing and were trying to comfort me throughout the day. But the one class I don't have with them was gym. And in our school, we are required to remove jewelry before class. That part was uneventful. The problem came when I went back into the locker room. All of the goons had gym the period after and I would see them as I was in the locker room. As I walked in and took my chain out of my locker, one of them took notice and immediately asked what I had in my hand. I, of course, not wanting to cause a problem, said nothing important. I went to the bathroom to put it on and when I walked out, all of them were waiting for me. They started to tell me to give them what was around my neck. In that moment, I was on the verge of tears because I didn't want to lose one of the only things I had left to remember my grandfather. So I made a run for it. They blocked the door and started punching and kicking me. I didn't want to cause a fight because I knew it would get out of hand. And up until then, I had a perfect school record. When they stopped, I sat up and started to try and leave. The main goonie, the leader of the pack, grabbed my chain and ripped it off me, breaking it and mangling the cross that my grandfather took such pride in. He started laughing as I stared at him in pure disbelief. I saw red. 
I lost it and started pummeling the main kid, grabbing him by his collar and smashing his head over and over again into the concrete while his friends watched, screaming to stop, trying to pry me away. The gym teacher heard all of the commotion. I don't know how he didn't hear me getting jumped before and came in running, yanking me away from the main goon and locking me in his office. He called the nurse and an ambulance. He was freaking out. I got suspended for three months only due to the cameras in the hall that could see into the window of the door. It witnessed them jumping me. The only reason I didn't get arrested was that camera. Thank God for technology. Now, this might not seem like nuclear revenge yet, but here is the list you are waiting for. Injuries, fractured skull, broken nose, broken jaw, eight lost teeth, and severe brain damage. He was out for four months with some time in the hospital. He didn't make it back onto the football team due to the fear his head would get hit. His grades also took a hit and he had to repeat two years. My group, on the other hand, have been free from bullying ever since. So, what do you guys think? Did I take it too far or was it deserved? Wow, what a story. I mean, listen, guys, you've got to do as OP says. Get down in the comments right away if you're on YouTube and let me know your thoughts before I even give mine. I mean, look, as I always say, (laughs) you can't advocate for just punching someone and dominating someone and sending them to the hospital, right? That's, I don't think that can ever be an answer. But in this spot, what else are you gonna do? Take it? Take them just beating the absolute trash out of you? Take them stealing the one sentimental thing that you now own that was your grandfather's pride and joy? No, you're obviously not. You've got to fight back in this spot, no matter what the repercussions are. So look, I can't really, I can't really have too many cars with you doing what you did. I've got to really say fair play. You took it extremely well and you fought for what was yours. That's kind of my opinion here. I think it would be easy for me to say you just had to deal with it later in a more, you know, calm way and get the school involved and, you know, get authorities involved and contact the police. I don't know. I think that's kind of BS to be fair. I don't understand, right, why your gym teacher, who clearly knew what was going on before, like you don't just hear half of a scuffle, sorry, didn't get involved right away. He only got involved when you were the one that was, you know, doing the the fighting. And maybe that was coincidence, maybe it was, but I don't, I'm don't. i not sure about that, you know. It seems like he just picked and chose his moment as to when to get involved. Ah, uh, overall, I don't know. It was your grandpa's item that he gave to you. Ultimately, I hope you can fix it and the damage to it wasn't too bad because that sentimental value you just cannot ever replace with money or time. Uh, OP actually says in the comments, that chain was passed down from his dad, but he still has it framed in resin and epoxy. He's ashamed that he hurt someone that badly, but they felt great for getting it off their chest in the Reddit. I don't know, interesting. I kind of like that response because no one ever wants to hurt somebody that badly. But in that spot, you had to do what you had to do. And I do rate that you knew you had to do it, but you still feel ashamed about it because it's obviously not the greatest thing to put someone in hospital. Overall, I've got to say that the main moral I take from this is that bullies are a disgrace. And sometimes maybe it's good to put a bully in hospital. Maybe it's good. Call me a race traitor in a PM on Reddit. Let's destroy your life. A few years ago on a different Reddit account, I mentioned that I was in an interracial relationship. A Redditor reached out to me and told me I was a race traitor and unfaithful to my race. I was like, um, what the frick, bro? I looked at his accounts. It was six years old, which told me his username was likely something he used a lot. So I started Googling his username at Gmail, username at Yahoo, etc., etc., and I found a match with Hotmail. A guy by the name of, let's say, Jeff was selling some NFL game tickets and had posted his email. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean it's the same person. However, in the post, he mentioned a city in America and that he was a fan of a particular football team. I went through the Reddit user post history. 
He posted quite a bit in the respective city subreddit. He mentioned going to NFL games, and in another post, he also said he was born in Canada. So, through the ad for the NFL ticket, I figured out his real name. I found his biography on his employer's website. He was a senior level manager, so they had a bio for him. In that bio, they mentioned he was born in Canada, was a fan of said NFL team, and loved living in the city. I also found his LinkedIn page during this time, so I sent him a connect request on LinkedIn, which he accepted. I figured he would because he had over 500 connections. So, here is what we know. His username matches his email handle. He likes the NFL team. He lives in said city that he posts in said city subreddit and he was born in Canada. I then found his Facebook page. His Facebook page was public and he posted what I would describe as semi-racist material. Also, his Reddit page was significantly more racist. Based on the numerous correcting factors, I determined this was the same person. So I create a report. I included screenshots and links and summarized my findings in that report. Now, based on this person's position in his company, he likely had a significant role in deciding who this company employs. Also, his company clearly stated they were an equal opportunity employer. So I called their HR department. I found the number, I called them, and I asked them, would you be concerned if a senior level manager in your organization was a proud racist and degraded your equal opportunity employment policies they were concerned so i told them that i'd done an investigation into one of their senior level managers and described that he was racist and had put together all my evidence and findings in a report and could email it over to them i emailed them the reports a few weeks later i called to get an update and i was told they appreciated my reports however they would have to comment on the status of their decision and make public statements in regard Basically, thanks for letting us know, but we're not going to tell you anything. That's fine. So I waited another month and I kept checking his LinkedIn page. Then one day I saw a LinkedIn post from him in which he said he is looking for a new opportunity and if anyone had any positions open. So I messaged him on Reddit and I told him, hey bro, heard you got fired. Just want you to know that I am the reason why. He threatened to find out who I was, hunt me down, R-word my spouse and strangle me to death. So I reported him to Reddit admins who promptly permabanned him. Now, he really should have learned his lesson because guess what? He didn't connect the dots. He didn't know I could see all his LinkedIn activity. He didn't know who I was. He simply acted in rage. So I put his newest message into my folder and added it to the reports because you see, I can be an incredibly vindictive mother effer. I checked his LinkedIn once a week. Good news, he got another job. Bad news, their HR department was also quite easy to get a hold of and discuss their new hires online racist threatening behavior. However, let's just say I had a lovely conversation with this HR representative. She was a woman and based on how she sounded and her name, I suspect she was a woman of color. So yeah. I'm not sure what happened after this because a few weeks later, his internet history was cleaned up and his LinkedIn page was deleted. However, this company listed their senior management, which was what his position was, and I never saw his name listed. What I suspect happened is after his HR viewed my evidence, they terminated his employment with them. I would have totally gone after him a third time, but he got smart the second time around. Hey, by the way, Jeff, if you see this post, I'd love for you to send me a new message. I really enjoyed the little game I played with you. I also question how you handled getting fired from two jobs back to back on your resume and in future job interviews. What a start to the episode. Nothing I like more than seeing a racist get absolutely decimated, completely justified and fantastic karma. What I just don't get personally is people that do not understand that anything that you ever put on the internet, even if it's not currently on there, even if you deleted it a long time ago, is still somewhere in the archives, in the files. If people wanna find out that information, they can find it pretty easily as OP has showed. Like for me, back in school, I got in a bit of trouble for stuff that I said online. And from that point onwards, I have known that every single thing that I say online, I have to be comfortable repeating in real life to anyone. 
It's as simple as that. And clearly, if you're a filthy racist like this, then um, you're not going to be comfortable saying it to people, are you? So very good job, OP. Disgraceful person this guy is. Young firefighter disrespects a lieutenant, so I shame him and get him to quit. I'm not sure if this is pro or not, but I got revenge on a douchebag I used to volunteer firefight with. This was in the early mid-2000s. I decided to join the local fire department as a volunteer firefighter. I did it for about five years and it was great. Training consisted of three months of fire training, two nights a week and all day Saturday. And then you would go to EMT training, another three months of training. I was there for about a year when I was asked to help train some new recruits. One of the lieutenants, Amy, was a short middle-aged woman who was so full of fire, she could make a grown man cry. One of those people who commands both fear and respect wherever she went. Honestly, a great lieutenant and great person. When she wasn't being a drill sergeant, she was extremely kind and generous. She would often bake people cakes and treats and deliver them to the various stations in our departments. However, in this new academy class that I was asked to help with, there was a cocky kid that we will call Aaron. Aaron talked big during the training and acted like he was the all-American hero, like he was going to be the lead badass in Backdraft 2. He performed moderately well in training, but far from the top of the class. He gets assigned to Amy's station, which is a pretty quiet station in the department. A few months after he starts, Amy swings by my station one night to say hi. She brings us the mother load cake from Claim Jumper, a massive six-layer cake. She explained that she had treated her crew to a night out at Claim Jumper, which must have cost a lot of money. I think she took about eight people and bought a whole cake to top it all off. They'd eaten the first two layers, so she gave us the remaining four. We thanked her profusely and she left. Back then, the big social media platform was MySpace, and I decided to look up some of the people in the department to make friends. I came across Aaron's page and I noticed some photos of him and the rest of his crew at Claim Jumper with Amy. However, when I read the comments, he bragged about how he'd purposefully ordered the most expensive dinner, appetizers, and drinks since Amy was buying. He bragged about how he was going to take advantage of her stupidity. This alone made me angry because she was doing this super nice and generous thing. What an ungrateful, selfish idiot. Then I read the rest of his profile. He had videos and memes on his page glorifying himself as a badass firefighter, bragging about running into burning buildings and how he was such a hero. He was flirting with girls, blatantly trying to impress them with how brave he was. Bear in mind, he just graduated from the academy three months prior and hadn't even gone to EMT school. He'd never been to a house fire and all he did was basically carry gear for the other fully qualified firefighters. It was too much for me to tolerate. So here's the revenge. I printed off copies of his MySpace page, including his comments about Amy and toxic bragging. I made multiple copies and took them to every station in the departments. We all had pages, God I'm old, and a small keyboard at each station to send out text messages. I made an anonymous all-staff page to everyone in the department. I had to keep it brief since I couldn't fit a ton of characters in, but I sent out his MySpace info and told everyone about how he treated Amy. Within one hour, Aaron had cleared out his MySpace page of all posts, photos, etc. A couple of days later, he deleted his accounts. It's a good thing I made so many copies. Immediately after this happened, he stopped coming to volunteer. And a few weeks later, I heard that he had quit. I later talked to Amy and admitted I was the one who sent the page. I told her I hated how he treated her and she thanked me. She seemed really sad and hurt by what he'd done. But being the tough short lady that she was, she quickly got back into being an actual badass firefighter. She later started dating and married a fire chief that also helped at the academy. I've lost touch with her, but I hope she did well. She seemed pretty happy the last time I saw her. 
You know, I absolutely love this revenge here for one very simple reason. In theory, the thing that Aaron did to Amy wasn't necessarily that bad, right? Like it wasn't damaging. It wasn't physical. It was pretty non-eventful all in, just offensive. But it was still a horrible thing to do. And the fact that you went out there and sought some justice and got it for Amy is very kind because you could have easily been like, okay, not a nice comment, but uh, not that bad. But no, it was very disrespectful. If someone is saying that about another colleague, then I don't know what else they could do. And to me, Aaron seems like the sort of person that you just wouldn't want to work with. So fair play to you for doing what you did. Okay, now moving on to our next revenge story. A little treat for you guys who have watched and listened this far. This is from Nuclear Revenge. Things are hotting up. Steal the money I need to live. You can spend it on damages. This will be brief and not include identifying info. You can verify if you need. I have most interactions on video. I moved out almost a year ago. And before I did, my mother stole $750 from me. That money took me over six months to save. That was almost everything I saved to leave and support myself because I was cutting all contacts and planned to be on my own. My parents are extremely abusive in every sense of the word. My mum knew this and wanted to maliciously sabotage me in any way she could. I say maliciously because she did not want the best for me. She wanted me to continue to be dependent on her so she could abuse me. Both her and my father took pleasure in abusing me in every way. Fast forward to a day before I moved out. I cut the wires to my TV and all lights in the room. I also poured rotten juice into the carpet, two two by three foot areas, and into the dressers and let that sit. I cut the cable box as well. I also left some fish in the vent in my room. When I moved out, I said nothing, left no forwarding address and cut all contacts. My thoughts were, you can use the $750 you stole from me to fix it. My parents are by no means poor. My mother inherited over a million from her mother and my father inherited over half a million from his mother. They're extremely well off. I also paid rent to them $700 a month. They didn't need the money they stole from me. It was a spiteful, malicious act. Now, I don't care how much money you have or how much money you've saved, but if you've been saving for six months straight to enable yourself to do something that's gonna progress your life and that gets taken away by somebody, it doesn't matter who they are. That is a truly awful thing to do. I mean, to be fair, it doesn't even matter if your parents are poor or not. Yes, it makes it a little bit worse the fact that they're millionaires, but your wealth shouldn't determine whether or not you should be allowed to steal money from your own child. It's just ridiculous. I don't know why they're doing this. Well, actually, no, I do. They're just abusive people and horrible parents. So uh, if you can get out of there as quickly as you can, despite the setback, please do. I I don't know why I'm saying this. I know you're going to try everything. You've already tried a lot. Get out of there, my friend, and good luck to you. Fire me from my job with no notice. I'll ruin your entire company. So at the start of December, I was let go from my job because they didn't have the time to train me for the job role. I needed to take out a load to survive as it took me three weeks to find something new. I was hired for a customer services administrator role, and as I'd never done that type of work, I was told I'd be given full training on job. The girls in the office never bothered, and I simply learned the job myself. I was told my performance was more than they expected, but suddenly, I was called into the office at 8.30am when I arrived and told they were really sorry, but they didn't have the time to train me, so I'd be let go immediately with no warning or notice. I was completely shocked by this. To add, my contract stated that I was to be given 28 days notice of termination. The company I worked for uses government grants as a form of payments, so they would regularly claim they've done certain things they haven't to make more profit from the government, such as forging signatures and lying about what work they've done to gain more funding. Basically, we get funding from the government for providing services to lower income customers. That's all I can say. I was involved in a different department, but shared an office with the department responsible for lying about profits. It's a small company, 
and the director would constantly hassle them to forge signatures as we can get the jobs through quicker. And if we had an audit, he would go to prison for what was being done. So when I got laid off, not by a manager, but someone who worked at the same level in my department, I was absolutely livid that they dragged me a 60 to 80 minute drive for me to leave two minutes later. I got home and immediately called the fraud whistleblower helpline. Nothing came of this until a week later when they wanted more details. The thing is, I'm very good at being silent and taking in my surroundings. I was able to tell them which accounts had been forged and lied about. I also had considerable email evidence of what had been going on. So long story short, the majority have lost their jobs, including the people who couldn't be bothered to train me and went running to the director to fire me, including the director who is now being investigated for fraud and facing time in prison and a massive fine. Always live by the mantra, frick about and find out. Yeah, you've just been absolutely used here. I'm sorry. The fact that you're already very good at your job, you've trained yourself. The girls have even said, oh, you know what? We're very surprised. You've done really well. You're doing the job excellently. But also, no, we haven't officially trained you. And now we don't want to give you a lot of money. So yeah, you're done. That is so disrespectful. And yeah, as I said, they are completely using you, exploiting you. And it's not legal. When you hear more and more about the company, as I read more and more of the story, it doesn't really surprise me that the employees act this way. I mean, the fact that there's just fraud all over the gaff is a massive red flag. Of course. And again, as I've said with all these stories, fair play to UOP for actually doing something about it. It's one thing noticing these things and saying, okay, I'm not going to stick around in this company because they are fraudulent. They treat employees badly. You know, they do terrible things. But it's another actually fixing the problem and helping out other employees and future employees as well. Because who knows, down the line, if this company is still running and who knows, is getting more and more profitable and employing more people that just don't know about the stuff that's really going on, then they could be in for a terrible time. But the fact that you've done this and stopped all this going on, not just for yourself, but for potential future employees is amazing. So fair play to you once again. My boss stole my Super Bowl tickets, so I made him lose a major client. With the NFL playoffs back on, I thought you all might enjoy this football-related revenge story. I'm a huge 49ers fan, the rabid all-day tailgate in the parking lot type. A few years ago, we made it back to the Super Bowl. I was working at a consulting firm with a handful of accounts I would interact with directly. One client in particular knew how big of a Niners fan I was. I was the day-to-day lead on his accounts. He really liked working with me and we became friends, often grabbing drinks or dinner after our meetings. He had access to a pair of extra company seats of the game and as a thank you, wanted to give them to me as a gift. He passed the tickets over to the partner on that account, who I will refer to as idiot partner, to be given to me as a surprise. The game came and went. We lost, it sucked. The next time we met, we went to drinks afterwards and he mentioned, Hey, by the way, why didn't you go to the game? I heard somebody else was in your seats. I asked, what game? And he said, the Super Bowl? Confused, I answered, I didn't have seats at the Super Bowl. He told me that he gave the idiot partner a pair of his company tickets for me as a gift so I could attend. I had zero idea what he was talking about. He looked shocked and told me to quietly ask around about it and get back to him. When I was back in the office the next week, I found out through one of the secretaries that the idiot partner had given a pair of Super Bowl tickets to another one of his clients as a gift from our company. I might have let this sort of thing go to keep the peace under different circumstances, but these were seats on the 30-yard line to see the freaking 49ers play in the Super Bowl. I was fuming. I considered confronting the idiot partner myself, but realized it was the client who had noticed I wasn't there in the first place. So if I let him handle it, there'd be no blowback on me. So I texted him. Hey, I just wanted to thank you so much for thinking of me with those seats. It appears that they were given to another one of our firm's clients. He texted back right away in all caps. Are you kidding me? And then pretend I never told you. 
Let me handle. He followed up with me about formulating a plan. A few days later, we were asked to come down for a meeting in their office. The client requested the partner to be present, not entirely unusual, so the idiot partner and I hopped on a flight the next week and headed over to their office. Little did the partner know, my client had orchestrated a wonderfully awkward little show to catch him red-handed. When we entered the conference room, it was all the usual suspects, along with a woman in her 30s we didn't recognize. My client immediately introduces, partner, this is Stephanie such and such, VP from another department. She wanted to sit in on this meeting. Hey, OP, you guys must already know her from the Super Bowl. She then responds as she goes to shake my hand. Oh, I don't think so. Did we meet there? I'm sorry if I forgot. The client responds. Geez, Steph, how much did you have to drink? They were sitting right next to you. The client looks at me and I say, sorry, I wasn't there. Are you thinking of someone else? At this point, the partner is looking visibly uncomfortable, probably trying to come up with an excuse. He starts in with an, um, when Stephanie says over him, no, so-and-so from another company were in the other seats. By the way, I was wondering why we gave company seats to those guys. Is there a project we're working with them on that I don't know about? Obviously not. They were in completely different industries. It would be like Coca-Cola partnering with John Deere. The idiot partner lets out an, uh, again, and the client immediately speaks over him, asking, partner, I gave you those tickets for OP. At this point, the partner is turning bright red. He responds, Oh, uh, well, he wasn't able to make it, so he must have given the seats away to someone else? And turns to me, looking for me to cover for him. The client smirks at me. I respond, Uh, what are you talking about? You gave me tickets to the Super Bowl? The client suddenly raises his voice. Partner, those tickets were a personal thank you gift from me to OP. Did you give them away to someone else? Was it another client? The partner butts in with, Oh, um, maybe something got mixed up in the office. The client went quiet for what probably seemed like an eternity to the idiot partner. He then looked down, grabbed his portfolio and iPad, put them into his briefcase and said, I think this meeting is over. OP, it seems as if I owe you a thank you gift. Let's go to lunch. Stephanie, you're welcome to join. Partner, I need to evaluate our relationship. Please go back home and expect to hear from us next week. The partner suggests that he would like to join, presumably to do damage control. And Stephanie sternly tells him, I don't think that's a good idea. And she asks the front desk to see him out. As soon as he's in the elevator, we all break out laughing hysterically. Stephanie wasn't really a VP, just an employee at the company who the client had drafted into helping with his pre-planned meeting scare. But she did end up coming to lunch with us and was a fellow Niners fan and a total blast to hang out with. On our way to the restaurant, I got a desperate text from the idiot partner saying I needed to cover for the firm and that we could discuss things when I got back. I replied, yes, we need to talk, but I'll see what I can do. The client told me to wait a couple of hours and then respond to him. One, to expect invoices for the resale value of the Super Bowl tickets. Resale is way above face value. It was over $10,000 as well as our lunch. He picked a pricey spot and made a big show of overspending and that he expected them to be paid immediately. Two, expected I be given a direct apology. Three, expected a written apology to his company for what he considered theft. And four, he will only interact with me or another one of our firm's partners, never the idiot partner. The whole thing caused a stir with the other partners and I actually came off looking great because it appeared that I'd made a good faith effort to save the client for the firm despite being the victim in this situation. The client would transfer to another partner, which meant the idiot partner lost his profit share on any work with them. Oh, and the other partners in the firm made the idiot partner pay the invoices back 
out of his salary. In retrospect, I really have no idea what the heck the guy was thinking. Did he seriously believe the client would just not notice me not thanking him for the tickets? Anyway, the well was kind of poison for me there long term because the idiot partner wasn't going anywhere. I left the firm a few months later for a much better position. The client ultimately terminated their relationship with that firm a year later. He actually now works with a good friend of mine at a competing firm. I'm still angry that I missed out on the Super Bowl, even though we lost. Hoping we make it back this year so I can finally go to one in person. Go Niners. Honestly, what sort of human being do you have to be to essentially steal a $10,000 ticket from a worker, from an employee of yours? That is disgusting. Like you being their boss means absolutely nothing. Just in terms of being a nice person. How can you do that? That's insane. And that is before we even get into the fact that this is obviously going to ruin a reputation with one of your big clients. But how did you expect this to go? The client never to ask, oh, so did you enjoy the game? Did the surprise go well? And then be like, you didn't go? Okay, what's going on here? But that was a, that was an inevitability. I, I just don't understand the logic here. There was none, clearly. And the saddest part about this entire story is that the partner keeps their job. That should not be allowed. I'm sorry, that is a sackable offense. If you're taking something that is a gift from one of your clients and then giving it to another client, I mean, I'm not sure if it's fraudulent, but it's definitely very unethical and immoral. He should be sacked on site. The good news is that you look great out of this. However, you did miss the Super Bowl with your team playing. Like, if I put myself in that position, if I was offered tickets to see Chelsea in the Champions League final, see Chelsea in the Champions League final, stop the cap. And I didn't know about it. And then someone else went instead of me. I would be fuming. I wouldn't even care about my job at that point. That is the truth. Now for our next revenge story. Nuked my wife's lover. A little over a decade ago, my then wife decided to get a divorce. We had two kids, a 13-year-old boy and a six-year-old girl. And even though our sex life was non-existent, I really didn't want to get divorced and break up the family. It turned out that the reason she had killed off our sex life was that she had been cheating on me for quite a while. She would planned everything out years in advance and had set it up so that the divorce would be final at the same time she finished up the last semester of her master's degree. Then she was going to take the kids and move to Dallas to live with her fiancé even showed me the engagement ring. Long story short, you could say the divorce was ugly, in much the same way you could say the bombing of Hiroshima left the place rather messy. When the smoke cleared, I wound up with custody of the kids, so she literally packed up a U-Haul and drove off to Dallas to move in with her fiancé. Then she stopped paying child support. I had to get the state attorney general's office to sue her to get her to pay up. Since she'd gone ahead and moved to Dallas, she had very little contact with the kids. And when they did go to her place, they hated it. Her new hubby, we called him the step douche, had no interest in the kids other than to bully them. It wasn't physical, but it was still bullying. For example, when my son was 15, he wanted to go to a horror movie convention in Dallas. I couldn't afford to go with him, but I scraped up enough money so that he could. The ex said she'd pick him up at the airport, drive him to the convention, take care of him while he was in Dallas, make sure he had a good time, etc. So I got him a plane ticket and a three-day convention pass. Instead of taking him to the convention, they used him to help them move all weekend. By the time he got to the convention, it was Sunday afternoon and everything was shut down and everyone was going home. The step was a huge jerk and was constantly making things as hard as he could for both me and the kids simply because he could. This is just one example. He also occasionally beat the heck out of my ex, but that's another story. Wow. It's important to note here what the step douche did for a living. He and a couple of other partners ran a small business slash scam that solicited people to invest in oil wells. They ran a call center. 
Some of his disgruntled employees posted online about this and cold called folks to talk them into investing. They would then get this money together and they were supposed to use it to buy old oil wells, rework the well to get it producing again, and the investors all got a share of the proceeds. I know that they actually did do this on a couple of occasions. They had pictures of the well on the firm webpage, but how much of the investors' money was actually invested and how much went towards the step douche's rented Mercedes and suits and such, I don't know. I know that the step douche and my ex went to a lot of rock concerts and pro football games but i also know that at least one of his partners was apparently honest more on that later and the firm was big enough they hired my ex to work there at least part-time and they had a couple of office assistants too i had spent some time in the military and worked briefly with law enforcement so i pulled every string i could and got as much background on the step douche as i could It turned out that he was on probation for felony cocaine possession and for assaulting a cop. Apparently, he'd stopped off at a truck stop to pick up some party supplies for a Super Bowl party and he bought the drugs from an undercover cop. Nobody knew this, not even my ex. She was shocked when I told her. Not his partners, certainly not the people he was trying to get to invest in his oil well deals. Eventually, I posted his arrest report online. The whole thing, except Step Douche's social security number. I was very careful not to add or embellish anything because when it comes to slander, truth is a defense. As long as I only posted the truth, i.e. the complete arrest report, along with arrest number, record number, etc., and his plea bargain deal, it wouldn't be legally actionable. Court records are public documents. I also said that this was only one side of the story and that people should contact him to find out his side. So I posted all his contact information, including where he worked and the firm website and the firm phone number, and I think his home address in the interest of fairness so people could get his side of the story. But I didn't dox him or anything like that, not even once, even though he lacked the legal certifications and background checks required for someone who worked doing investments. I figured his partners could find that out for themselves if they decided to check. I don't know the details of what happened next, but I do know that my ex called me up a couple of weeks later and literally begged me to take my post down. I politely refused. I do know that his firm vanished, website gone, phones disconnected, emails bounced. Apparently, people are reluctant to invest their life savings with an unlicensed drug felon. Who knew? The kid said that my ex and the step douche had to move into a hotel for a while. So what happened to the house they were renting? I don't know. Finally, they moved back to our city and step douche got a job working for a buddy's exotic car company. Customers would come into the company and request a particular kind of car and he had to go and search the internet to find a matching one that was for sale. I don't think it was a high paying position. The ex went back to the job she had before the divorce, though with another company, and she was the big breadwinner. I know that they were dodging creditors for a long time because I would occasionally get phone calls from bill collectors asking for my ex-wife. These guys always found me to be very cooperative. Since I dropped the kids off at their place for the visitation weekends, I knew exactly where they lived, what their phone numbers were, where the ex worked, everything. Then I would call her brother, my ex-brother-in-law, and tell him that his sister was in financial trouble again. I think he helped her out a few times. I once got a call from a bill collector that was out to repo the Harley my ex had bought step douche as a wedding present. I was able to tell him not just where they lived, but how to get up to the property unseen. There was a small drainage ditch that ran alongside and that when I dropped off the kids on Saturday mornings, step douche normally had the garage door open while he did yard work. I don't know if the repo man used this information or not, but they did go from a three car and a Harley family to a one car family over the course of a few months. 
Since they only had one car, Step Douche made the ex take the bus to work. Finally, my daughter was brave enough that she used her iPhone to record one of Step Douche's rage fits where he slapped around my ex. I was able to take this to court and get a restraining order requiring him to be at least 500 feet away from my daughter at all times. This meant that my ex still had visitation, but that my daughter didn't have to go over to their house anymore. Eventually, Step Douche got fired from his job. He has real problems with authority figures and he hasn't worked in like five years. My ex finally left him. On top of abusing her, he was also cheating on her. But for some reason, nobody understands. She still pays all his bills, which means she has to sell plasma to try and make ends meet while he hangs out at strip clubs. But that's not my problem. A couple of years later, one of his partners started up a new oil and gas firm and went to long lengths to get it certified by the Better Business Bureau and every other look we're really honest website he could find so it seems likely he didn't know that step douche was as slimy as he turned out to be well there we go a great read great revenge i'm not gonna lie a pretty tragic situation i'm not sure who i feel worse for in this spot op you or your kids both just awful and i'm sorry i had to go for all of that did quite enjoy you saying that you uh you posted all his content information including where he worked the website his phone number his home address but not doxing him that's that's very good because uh yeah doxing is definitely completely different to that and you definitely didn't do that like i don't know actually legally how allowed that is but if you thought it was okay and you say you're an ex-cop then you're probably all right horrible roommate with insane boyfriend who won't leave bye i managed to find an awesome house to rent after college with two other friends one was my good buddy from undergrad let's call him ben the other was someone who i gotten to know through another close friend and let's call her crystal Everything is all fine and actually great for quite some time. We lived our own lives, but had a great time hanging out together too. The perfect roommate situation. That is, until Crystal started dating Pablo. Pablo was the ultimate deadbeat with a Napoleon complex. Just a little over a month into our lease, Pablo got evicted from his place. And Crystal asked if he could stay for a short period while he looked for a new one. Being understanding and empathetic and trusting Crystal, we had no reason not to, we said sure, as long as it's temporary. Big mistake. Pablo lost his job. Pablo had been dishonorably discharged from the military. Pablo was an unsuccessful gambler. Pablo was a drunk. It was New Orleans, so it's not like any of us had a leg to stand on here, but he was a dangerous drunk. He would verbally abuse Crystal, waking up the whole household in the middle of the night with fights. He killed her pet fish by running it under scalding hot water. He would hurl racial slurs at my then boyfriend. He broke Ben's wee. On numerous occasions, he left the front door wide open. Anyone who knows New Orleans knows this is a bad move, even in the safest areas. He left an empty pot on the stove with the burner on, and I came home to a house full of smoke. He was really putting everyone's lives in danger. Ben and I decided to have a house meeting to discuss our concerns with her. And knowing that sometimes emotions can flare, we came with a written agenda so as to just stick to the facts. Yet Crystal defended him and offered no solution to when he would be leaving and finding his own place. Spoiler, he never would. Really rubbing salt in the wound, Pablo had gambled much of their money and Crystal was having trouble making rent one month. She asked if she could borrow it and pay me back next paycheck. Again, being a trusting empath and feeling like we had no other choice, I did. I was furious to find out that the two of them had left for a long weekend at a casino resort in Mississippi before having paid me back. Well, now for the revenge. 
I've been working two full-time jobs. I saved like crazy and it was 2008 and housing prices had dipped. I decided to buy my own home. Ben knew all about this. So did my landlady and was planning to be my roommate in the new house, but I never mentioned a single word to Crystal. I found a great place, made an offer and closed a little thereafter. It just so happened that the day I closed on the house when we were already planning to move and just get the hell out of Dodge Crystal and Pablo took one of their famous casino getaways We got around 15 to 20 of our close friends One of whom had an enormous truck and a giant flatbed. Of course someone did it was louisiana Many hands make light work and within a few short hours the entire house other than their room was cleared out Oh, and did I mention all the furniture all the kitchen stuff? Everything in the common rooms belonged to either me or Ben. Crystal and Pablo returned home at the end of a full day of gambling, only to find a completely empty house except for their room. We told them we'd switch the utilities that were under my name to the new house, and we'd inform the landlady and paid out our share of the remainder of the lease. The looks on their faces was priceless. We left and never saw them again. Hallelujah. Wow, talk about a quick little piece of revenge there. That is so much to have done in just a few hours. Brilliant scenes. And you're right, with that many people helping out, you can get so much done in such a short amount of time. Imagine the look on Pablo's face. And by the way, this is completely justified. I don't even need to say that, but it is. This guy sounds truly horrible. And all I can think is that I hope your ex-roommate gets rid of him. But imagine that look on his face when he comes back to his house i guess that he's now calling it and just sees everything gone apart from stuff in his own room brilliant scenes now the reason i wanted to cover that story in particular is because i am moving out myself in with three roommates three of my best mates who i've known for over 20 years in just a couple of weeks and i'll be frank i really hope this doesn't happen to me it's unlikely i would say because i have known them for over 20 years and i went to nursery that's kindergarten with them so i don't think it's gonna happen but you never know One of them might start dating Pablo. Okay, now for our next revenge story. Revenge on the movie producer. Please allow me to note well in advance that this story is not mine. In fact, it's a rather popular story in a town I once lived in, Savannah, Georgia, and centers around one homeowner who got royally annoyed with a movie producer. There'll be a note at the end about the fellow this story is about for those interested, and I will be reading that out. Okay, so first and foremost, when movie producers are looking for places to set a movie that takes place in colonial or even 1800 cities in the u.s due to the sheer number of parks wide roads and period houses they'll often select savannah georgia they'll pull all the spanish moss out of the trees or trim it back pour dirt on the roads around the squares and effectively backdate that part of the city to fit most any place even up to some having used the area as a setting for places like early washington dc and even places in britain or france typically when producers do this they will pay each homeowner whose house is used as background flavor a couple of thousand dollars for the licensing to do so this will be important later trust me they issue some rules like no electric lights being visible not coming out of any door that faces the street and you have to move your automobiles away from the drive if you have a drive well 1979 a producer came from hollywood with the intention of using savannah for that very purpose specifically the producer was from one of the big three letter tv channels and was working on making a made for tv movie talking about the events after the assassination of Lincoln and the subsequent accusations of the doctor present at his death. The production went to the city to seek permission and then sent an announcement out to each of the homeowners telling them of the various days that the shoot was going to take place. 
However, much to their downfall, they also noted that the production company would not be compensating the homeowners for the use of their homes as backdrops. This was met with some great annoyance by the homeowners, who turned to the city for help, only to be told that it was their civic duty to allow the use of their homes. Most everyone agreed to this and bit their lips. One homeowner, however, didn't. He decided to get revenge on the production, attempting to screw up their shooting every chance he got. He first started by leaving his car out in front of his house, only to have it towed before filming started. He threatened legal action against the studio, but that fell on deaf ears. He forbade the use of his home in some of the shots, but the production company got the city to make him back down. Eventually, enough was enough. So he waited, biding his time until he was certain they were filming. When the day came that his house was being used as a background shot, the homeowner grabbed a massive Nazi flag and hung it out front of the house out of one of the top windows. The production company balked. They knew that this ruined any shot they'd used there. And what's more, they started to question just when he'd put the flag up. Was it just the one day or had all the previous shots, some of which showed the house from across the square, been ruined as well? They turned to the city for help and the city just basically shrugged, saying that it was his first amendment right to do that and implied that had the production company paid the homeowners, as had always been done before, then this probably wouldn't have happened. In the end, the production company had to end shooting and go to the homeowner begging for him to remove the offending flag. He did eventually do so, but only after his lawyer got a contract in writing that required the production company to pay all the homeowners for having their homes in the shots. The flag came down and shooting wrapped in less than a day. Interestingly, it's said that in the movie in question, The Ordeal of Dr. Mudd, there are several shots where you can see a bright red Nazi flag flying from one of the homes in the distance. That stunt cost the producer quite a substantial amount of money and pushed production back at least a year while they tried to find every single instance that the flag flew in the background shots. This homeowner would go on to himself become very famous, though not for a good reason. Even so, he lives on among the legends of that city, both his revenge against a movie producer and his later brush with fame. All right then, a little note from OP about who this guy is. The fellow in question is none other than Jim Williams. Williams was an American antiques dealer and a historic preservationist based in Savannah, Georgia. He played an active role in the preservation of the Savannah Historic District for over 35 years, but he was arrested on May the 2nd, 1981, for the alleged murder of 21-year-old Danny Hansford, with whom he'd been having a homosexual relationship at Mercer House. After the subsequent four trials, a record in the state of Georgia, Williams was finally acquitted by a jury in Augusta in May 1989, eight years after his arrest. Williams died in 1990 of heart failure, though AIDS is also suspected. He is the center of the story, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil novel, and later, Clint Eastwood movie. Well, there you go. What a brilliant story that was. Uh, I don't know so much about the ending and the fact that this guy may or may not have murdered someone. I guess he was acquitted, so we have to go with that, don't we really? But nonetheless, uh, let's move on from that. An original story that is just brilliant. And again, I just don't really get why the production company wouldn't ever pay people right off the bat, as every other production company I presume did and does right now as well. Like your home is being used in the shop without your permission. Obviously, you're then going to do whatever you want. It's within your right to kick up a fuss if you want to. Like it is literally your home and you're getting no compensation for it. And also they're saying you can't park your car in your driveway. Who's going to tell me to do that? Not, not nobody. 
Trust me. And I don't even drive. So make it that what you will. Our next story comes from r slash nuclear revenge. So things are hotting up a bit. All army service records lost. This happened a few years back. My dad found out he was super allergic to some kind of shrub in central Texas, Fort Hood, after he was transferred there. As a result, he was restricted to office work and prohibited by army doctors from outdoor duties. His West Point grad commanding officer was a hyper-warrior kind of dude who detested soldiers who didn't want to train 24-7. Unfortunately, he thought my dad was milking his allergies in order to avoid being a real soldier. My dad was also married and my mum was pregnant with my older sister, a situation that infuriated the captain because hashtag reasons. The CO never, ever passed an opportunity to humiliate my dad by questioning his manhood, doubting his commitment to protecting the constitution, disparaging his duties, etc. The CO would call him out in front of the company or debase him in front of higher HQ staff. He'd call the house at 6am on Sunday and order dad in for BS reasons, anything to annoy him. In short, he made his life a living hell. For what it's worth, the first sergeant loved my dad's work performance and said so privately. When my dad got orders to leave active duty, which enraged the CO, he found out that the CO received orders for an assignment that was a notch needed to guarantee promotions as well as other plum jobs dad decided to screw with his official records before leaving. As company clerk, he had full access to unit personnel files, orders, and more, which meant he also had keys to the building as well. This was during the pre-digital, pre-computer era. The night before my dad was to get out, he took all of the captain's personnel folders and mailed them separately and anonymously to various posts around the globe, knowing full well that it would take weeks to deliver them to geographically unrelated unit mailrooms around the world that may or may not open the packages in order to return them. It just so happened that the unit was in the field for a two-week exercise on the day my dad left, which meant a skeleton crew would man the phones and mow lawns until they returned from the field. No one was the wiser for weeks. One of my dad's old poker-playing sergeant buds wrote a few months later, telling him that the captain went ballistic, that the missing files seriously damaged the captain's career prospects since some of the files were lost in the system. Therefore, the coveted assignment orders were cancelled and the entire personnel record had to be reconstructed manually by the Department of the Army. My dad said it was a teaching moment for the cruel jerk that you should never screw with your unit clerk because even chairborn rangers know how to seriously wound enemies, foreign and domestic. We've said it once. We've said it a thousand times on my channel. Do not mess and do not annoy any of your colleagues, no matter where they are in the hierarchical structure of whatever organization you are employed by. Just don't mess with them because first of all, you have no idea who they may become. One day they may just be the CEO. They may just lead the world, who knows? And also if they are going to leave at any point, and you have done things like this to them, then they are at their most dangerous at that stage. They're going, they have no qualms about whatever they're going to leave their business or army behind with. So they might just go off the rails like your dad did and potentially ruin any of your career prospects. As happened here. Great stuff, completely deserved. And now for our final revenge story of the episode. This one from r slash petty revenge, but with over 34,000 upvotes. My ex cheated, so I refunded a gift and now she's livid. My ex broke up with me just about a year into us dating. In hindsight, she was awful, but I was blind to it all. She broke up with me over the phone, which seemed a little informal from all the time we spent together. Fast forward a week after that, several individuals connected to her, but not each other, confirmed she was in fact seeing another man. I didn't confront her about it because I realized that things just don't work out sometimes. 
It was just the way she went about it that irked me I'm old enough late 30s to accept that people are just jerks But I also felt like she was getting away with something without feeling even a bit of remorse The breakup was the only contact no calls or texts occurred after that over a year ago I remember for christmas that I bought her well us a really expensive couples massage spa package Because she would always say how she wanted to do something like that I purchased some big package from a local place that cost roughly six hundred dollars I obviously didn't have the certificate with me I decided then to go to the spa and make up a story of how I lost that certificate I showed them the receipts always keep those and showed him my credit card charge They wound up reissuing me a gift card and cancelling the other that was over a year ago And frankly, I forgot about it today. I get a call from her That's the first contact in a year since breaking up and she's screaming at me over the phone that the gift certificate is no good And the spa place accused her of stealing and what a pos i was for reporting it to be such I called the guy. He said he told her it was reported stolen I just politely explained that I didn't think she was deserving of it And if she really wanted to she could just have mark the dude she was banging pay for a new one I then hung up i'm gonna make an appointment to use that card with my new girlfriend soon Mission accomplished. And there we go. Some good old-fashioned casual revenge to end this episode. Very simple stuff. Very deserved. As I've always said on this channel for the last three and a bit years. I, a 43-year-old man, slept with my former Karen friend's 23-year-old son. Now, I don't normally do this, but for this story, I think it's important that we do read the cast. So, OP is a quirky, creative movie geek. Molly is a mean-spirited, insecure, hateful, jealous, wannabe actress, writer, whose only real work of fiction is her resume. She is also the Karen of this story. Matt is Molly's overgrown, coddled, spoiled man-child of a son. And Hannah is Molly's misanthropic, introverted eldest child, seven years Matt's senior. More than 20 years ago, I was once a very green and new writer, now a successful published writer in the independent film world. I was barely 21 when I met Molly, then in her early 40s when I was networking to get my very first screenplay, a murder mystery into production. Being the broke college student that I was at the time and new to the business, I had no contacts. There was no social media, nor were there any guaranteed ways to meet like-minded individuals to guide me through the arduous, ugly business of beautiful people known as the film industry. Along came Molly. By her claims, she was a seasoned former theatre actress and aspiring writer. To my untrained eyes, her resume was quite well written. According to Molly, she had put her ambitions on hold to get married and start a family. She was also a former fashion model and, now that her children were older, was just starting her film career. As someone who had no experience, I was in awe listening to all of her, I later found out to be highly embellished, tales of working alongside some of the great ones. I thought Molly had thrown me a lifeline. Little did I know, my long nightmare had just begun. To make a long story short, Molly promised to help get my work produced into a feature film. I was ecstatic. She said all the right things and hit all the right notes. She tried to present me with a contract that she expected me to sign. I saw a series of typographical errors and misspellings. There were simple grade school level words misspelled. No aspiring writer would have made quite so many errors without, in the very least, proofreading what they considered to be a professional document. It's worth pointing out, the document wasn't even notarized or on official letterhead. I also later came to find out that her production company name wasn't registered with the state and that she'd simply made it up. Having recently copyrighted my then one and only screenplay, even I knew it needed to be notarized in order for the document to be legal. My gut told me not to trust her. 
This was way before Zoom meetings, back in the days of when snail mail and fax machines were largely used. Let's just say her attempts at scanning the document and sending it to me did not go over well, as she was not computer literate at all. Put it this way, she was the type of person to do an internet search of her email address. Yet another red flag. When I said no, her mask slipped. What I saw beneath was, honestly, quite terrifying. A hateful, arrogant, jealous, overgrown middle school mean girl who never matured past the adolescent bully mindset. I ended the call and turned into a bloodhound. I called up all her references on her resume and researched her work history down to the last credit. Surprise, surprise. Her resume was more phony than her, what would later be known as, Karen Platinum blonde hairdo. I pushed back and told her I wasn't going to sign the contract and there was nothing she could do about it mostly because she'd lied to me and I found out she wasn't as experienced as she said she claimed. To say she didn't take this well would be a gross understatement. She promised that she would produce my screenplay into a feature film whether I liked it or not. When I pointed out to her that that constituted theft of intellectual property, plagiarism, and copyright infringement, all crimes that I could sue her for, she went radio silence quiet. I later found out through the grapevine that she was demonizing me to anyone who would listen thus adding slander and libel to the list of crimes that she committed against me. She, without my consent, even went as far as to get a promotional video done loosely based on my story, with her, naturally, starring in the leading role. I tracked down the filmmaker's website and saw an edit of the video on their demo reels page. It should come as absolutely no surprise. Molly's performance was stiff, awkward, mechanical, and would have looked out of place in a prawn film. It completely contradicted her claims that she had 20 years of experience on the theater stage. It's also worth pointing out that during our shop talk discussions, she didn't even know the difference between a soliloquy and an aside. Even high school sophomore English students know what those two terms mean. I gathered piles of evidence against her, and in the process of doing my research, it was a file that was at least 10 inches thick, I learned I was not the first person she tried to screw over. If it isn't clear already, Molly was a total narcissist. She had no respect for boundaries, zero comprehension of the word no, no accountability, and never thought beyond the moment. Therefore, she had no expectation or understanding that there are reprisals and consequences for her actions. To say I was livid upon learning that Molly had stolen my literary property and tried to turn it into her own little vanity project would be sugarcoating it. I decided to contact the director and producers directly. I scanned my copyright certificate and sent a very eloquently written email to them declaring that I was the sole creator, owner of the work that Molly had presented to them. It should come as no surprise that she had claimed she'd written it and was going to produce and star in the feature film based on it. The documented proof that I sent the director and his production team completely refuted her fraudulent claims. I really don't know what Molly hoped to achieve by doing any of this. As anyone who knows anything about the seriousness of copyright laws knows, she would have had to prove proof of ownership when it went to production. Of course, she was incapable of proving such proof as it did not exist. A zero-budget promotional video based on her written work was a different story. It was a labor of love for everyone involved. As for Molly, it was just a temporary stroking of her very fragile ego. I was just sad for the cast and crew that their time had been wasted by a skilled con woman who lied every time she opened her mouth and would have sold her own children up the river if it could have gotten her what she wanted. To make an already long story much shorter, Molly called me up flipping out when everyone on the production team quit. 
Why she thought I would care about her being rightfully branded a charlatan, I'll never know. She never said it, but she knew that I knew she'd been busted for her series of copyright violations. They'd also apparently questioned her resume after the fact and called her a lying grifter with zero skills or talent. Apparently, she did not take this well and she cussed them all out. Having seen her true colors, they distanced themselves from her. I can only surmise that they, at the bare minimum, did not want to be involved with someone who was a proven liar and a thief. Word traveled, and Molly became a pariah in her state of residence. In my last phone call to her, I granted her one last concession. I told her if she wanted to salvage anything resembling a career, she would have to move far away where no one knew her. Last I heard, she ticked off well over 100 people with her unethical, immoral, unprofessional, and downright illegal business practices. She'd made her bed of nails and was forced to lie in it. Flash forward to present day. I'm actively working in the local film industry of my current state. I decided to go out with some of the crew and cast of a project I was working on. We went to a gay bar. Yes, I'm out and proud. The city we were in is very liberal and open-minded. The club was amazing, as was the drag show. I saw this young man at the bar with sandy blonde hair, a chin strap beard, and beautiful hazel eyes. He was pretty toned too, with a forearm tattoo of the US Navy insignia on it. Being an Air Force veteran myself, we started talking military stuff. I thanked him for his service. I asked him to let me buy him a drink, and he obliged. I asked him his name. He said, Matt. Since this club let anyone in that was 18 or over with a valid form of ID, I wanted to make sure he was legally old enough to drink before I bought him that beer. I kindly asked him to show me his ID, and he complied. I was surprised that he did, as he didn't have to. I saw his first name was in fact Matthew, his middle name Joseph. His last name, a distinctive moniker that I would not share here as that would constitute doxing. I saw his birthday, and I remembered that Molly's son had the exact same date of birth. Naturally, being Molly's son and his mother being married to Matt's father, they all would have the same last name. I suddenly realized that this was the son of that same horrible woman who, at one point, made my life a legal living hell. It had been many years since we'd seen each other. Matt didn't recognize me. My appearance had changed quite a bit. I neither had bushy shoulder-length surfer dude hair nor wore contacts. I'm in the best shape of my life as I work out five out of seven days a week. I have a clean shaven head and I wear glasses now. Since I do have an acting background, I was able to hide the shock of this strange coincidence. That the formerly ill-mannered, bratty, poorly behaved holy terror that was Molly's son had turned into this strapping 23-year-old, six-foot-tall, sexy, well-toned twink with a reddish-brown beard. Him being in a gay bar was the ultimate irony and icing on the cake. As Molly was, when it was convenient, a huge Bible thumper. We both drank for at least another hour while we talked. We were enjoying each other's company and had lost track of time. By the time it was last call, both of us were buzzing, but didn't want to risk getting a DUI. We decided to Uber over to a nearby hotel. We checked in, went to a room, and it only had one bed. Awkward. I said I would sleep on the couch. The air conditioner had made the room really cold, and he asked me to sleep in the bed for warmth. I knew what he was suggesting. I just didn't expect him to be so overt about it. Then again, his mother wasn't really known for having tact either. I told him that was up to him. I was a hot sleeper and a plan to sleep in my underwear. I started stripping down to go and take a shower and he commented on my builds. Matt blushed. You look really good. You must work out. I ignored the obvious come on. I smiled. 
Thank you. I do, at least five times a week. I also try to watch what I eat, but my weakness is salt and vinegar chips. Matt laughed and smiled a come-hither grin. I'm not in near as good a shape as you. Don't say yourself short. You're taller than me, I said. Matt laughed at my bad pun. All right, guys, a little bit of a fair warning here. It does get a little bit raucous in this moment. I'm going to read it out because it's in the story, but, you know, fair warning. If you want to skip ahead a minute or so, be my guest. I I won't stop you. OP then says, well, don't leave me in suspense. Let me see what you look like. I've shown you mine, show me yours. I said this with a sly smirk on my face and I shifted my eyebrows. I think he knew what I was suggesting. The next thing that happened, I did not expect. Matt completely stripped naked. Now it was my turn to blush. Okay, that was definitely an icebreaker. Matt took a step towards me and rubbed his hand over my chest. We don't have to do this, I said to him. I want to, daddy, he replied to me. Sorry, I can't help but laugh here, guys. Remember throughout all of this that Matt is Molly's son. Matt just doesn't remember who OP is in this moment. But OP sure knows who Matt is, and this is all part of his revenge. Now, OP hates being called nicknames like that, but I let it go. Because, let's face it, I had this cute college-age kid in my hotel room, and that was the only thing on my mind at that particular moment. I was fully out of my clothes and standing in front of him as we inched over to the bed. He laid me down and kissed me while caressing my chest. I'll spare you any of the squishy details, it happened. It was amazing. Matt chose the top bunk. The finishing move, I would give a four out of five stars. He was clearly inexperienced and could definitely use some practice, but it was fun. Now, good news, guys. That is the end of the Wattpad story. Let's get back into it. The next morning while he was showering, I went through his phone and got Molly's as well as his sister Hannah's numbers. I'd seen him put in his passcode, his birth year, so it was easy to remember. Without getting too graphic, during the act, Matt had taken pictures of us in various positions, doing things to each other. Okay, sorry. Seems like the raucousness has continued a little bit. No, it wasn't for an OnlyFans. Wow. We were both consenting adults, and I had no problem with that. I'm debating whether or not I should send the pictures to his dog mother and equally horrible half-sister, Hannah. Because I'm not a petty, spiteful, cruel individual like Molly, I'm stuck at a moral impasse. I'm really on the fence about it. How would Molly react if she found out that her pride and joy, whom she'd beautified and practically canonized as a child, was a raging member of the LGBT plus community? Not that having a gay son should ever be considered a form of punishment, but Molly being the racist, homophobic, bigoted, feckless, Bible-thumping, adulterous hypocrite that she is, I'm sure it would come as a big shock. In comparison to Molly, Matt's father was always more liberal-minded, easygoing, and just wanted all of his children to be happy. He had three others with his first wife before he met Molly. I'm also pretty sure that Hannah wouldn't care at all about her little brother being a great big flamer either. If anything, I'm sure of one thing. If and when Matt comes out, he's going to see how very conditional his mother's love for him, if he doesn't even know that already, is. As a child, Hannah and Matt often went hungry, wore ill-fitting clothes, shoes that didn't fit, rarely had supplies for school, had teeth rotting out of their heads, and lived in a house that looked like it belonged on hoarders. Molly, on the other hand, always had her hair done, her nails done, booze in the fridge, and a full pack of cigarettes. It's the important things that matter, right? And there we go. That is the conclusion of that story of revenge. Not entirely sure what to think about it. It was extremely well written. I did enjoy reading it, apart from maybe the the Wattpad moment in there. Not entirely sure that was necessary, but hey, I, I can never say that 
too much description is a bad thing. Maybe in that situation it was. I don't know. Good story though. I enjoyed it. Guys, what do you think? Did that revenge justify itself? Was that good enough? Was it even apt? Was it revenge at all, really? It seemed to me as if OP kind of wanted it to happen anyway. You know, it wasn't really revenge as such as maybe it was just you happened to come across a guy that you fancied and he just so happened to be the son of a horrible woman that you met in your past and that didn't really do the nicest of things to you and tried to steal your script. I don't know. I guess I'm trying to say that I think you would have just got with him anyway, right? Even if you didn't know who he was. Now, with that all being said, comment down below, guys. Do you think that OP should send those photos? For me, I just do not see that as necessary at all. I don't particularly think that stealing a script should lead then to <laughs> the person's script that you stole sending photos of them with your son in some pretty uncompromising positions let's just say that to you i don't really think that's justified but hey maybe i'm being a little bit too lenient get in the comments down below what do you think should op send those pretty raunchy photos um and if you don't send them to karen hey we can always send them to me my friend don't do that please i had a male member of staff try to force himself onto another staff member a female she chose not to press charges but that didn't sit right with me to preface i live in a country that employs a large foreign expat workforce in pretty much every industry and in all levels for someone to move here for work they have to be sponsored by a company or the individual that's employing them i own and operate a small restaurant business here and employ more than a handful of foreigners as servers cleaners kitchen staff drivers etc so here's the story I was lounging on my couch enjoying the last of my weekend one day when I get a call telling me that one of our sponsored employees, a server, let's call her Janice, was picked up for indecent exposure essentially. Long story short, she was caught hooking up with a guy in a private booth at a local restaurant. Basically, the police walked in on them whilst engaging in some seriously heavy petting. They were fully clothed, but the guy she was with, or practically on top of, I should say, had his junk out. It turns out he works at the restaurant two doors down from where she worked. After a bit of chastising and threatening to escalate the situation and have them deported to sufficiently scare their senses back into them, they let them go. But not before signing a pledge type document promising to never repeat the offense or else. A slap on the wrist basically and everyone got to go home, but it doesn't end there. That night, something clicked in my brain and I had the thoughts, how and why did the police find them in a private booth in the back of a restaurant before the restaurant's own staff did? So I called the restaurant the next day. I thought maybe they called the police on them immediately for some reason, or maybe the couple got belligerent when staff asked them to stop. It turns out the staff didn't actually notice a thing. In fact, up until that day, the police have never been to that restaurant before. And when they did, they simply walked in, went straight to the back boots where the two were sat, and they busted right in. I realized that this meant that someone must have seen them and called the cops on them point blank. The question was, who? I decided to speak to Janice. I wanted to speak to her anyway that day, both to check in and get her version of the situation. I also gave her the employer, you know you did something stupid chat, and I reassured her that she is keeping her job. I also wanted to ask who she thought called her in. Without hesitation, she said it had to be Sammy, who was one of our drivers. Why do you think it was Sammy? I asked. Well, he's the one that dropped me off at the restaurant that day. He might have seen my friend walk in right after me and called the police on us, she said. Well, that sounds a bit drastic. Why would he do that even if he'd seen you do anything? I asked. 
She claimed it was because he was jealous. He was really into her apparently and kept trying to get her into bed, she said. What genuinely annoyed me was when she told me that he actually tried to force himself on her once and she fought him off and that he hasn't tried or even said anything since other than being very short and curt with her. My immediate response was, why on earth would you not tell me or one of your managers right away? She said that she dealt with it her way and it stopped. Plus, she didn't want anybody to get fired on her account and she didn't want any interaction with the authorities. So she decided not to make a big deal out of it in the first place. She also declined to press formal charges against him, which I advised her to do. Her declining infuriated me even more. This guy was gonna get off scot-free. Now, clearly I was about to fire Sammy, but in my mind, that was not enough. For someone to attempt to R a person basically and not get in trouble for it, that's not okay with me but it seemed like it was something that I'd have to live with. Obviously, my next conversation of the day was with Sammy. My intent was to confront him with the accusations. I called him into my office. I didn't really know where to start, so I went with, obviously, you've heard about what happened to Janice this weekend. He stepped in it right away. Heard about it? came the unexpectedly proud response from a proud as anything and positively beaming Sammy, I called it in. And this is where it started to get super satisfying. You see, for a couple of years since I met Sammy, every now and then he would pull out and show us all pictures of his wife, who was back home living with his mother. She was younger than him and quite beautiful, but sadly barren, which is apparently why she settled with an older fart like him. He was so proud of how pretty she was. He was also a devout religious man, or so he claimed. So I ask, and why call the police? He came back with, After I dropped her off, I waited to see who she was meeting because she's a troublemaker woman. When I saw the man walking after her, I called the police because I knew him and he's married and this is against the laws of God and man. I'm smiling now. I know I've got him. Why do that instead of calling your direct manager or even me and before even seeing for yourself what they were doing exactly at that? Why make it my problem and the company's problem what she does in her own time? Silence, head down, counting his shoes. Sammy, I know why. I know what you did. Janice just told me. I'm disgusted by you and sorry that we hired you. He had the audacity to mumble. I only tried once, sir. I almost slapped him. Anyways, I fired him, handed him a one-way ticket home, which was in four hours, and told him to GTFO. This is where I get my not-so-petty revenge. I had his house phone number saved somewhere from when we hired him. It was on his CV. I knew that because I called him there to interview him before we first hired him. I waited until his flight took off, and I dialed the number. I assumed either his mother or wife would answer the call, but I was wishing for the latter, and I got my wish. Hello, Mrs. Sammy. I'm your husband's employer. Well, his former employer anyway. Just so you know, I fired him a few hours ago and he's on a flight home as we speak. His flight number is this. He'll be arriving at this time. And just so you are aware, I was forced to fire him because he attempted to R a fellow employee half his age. I'm sorry. I said that and promptly hung up, but not before hearing her gasping in shock. Well, there you go. A phenomenal piece of revenge to start off today's episode. And I completely agree with you. Look, obviously it's not your decision if this woman presses charges or not, but you can still be really upset that she didn't and want to take things into your own hands. And if you're the wife here, are you not kind of relieved a little bit to know what's going on? Obviously, she's in a state of shock at first, but after a period of settling down, I think she's going to be happy that Opia's told her what Opia's told her. By the way, I only tried once, sir. 
is absolutely crazy. Like, think about that. What even is that for a sentence? Former manager made my life hell and I finally got her fired. I was desperate to join a new job after my husband and I were both laid off last year. When I was offered a new role, I knew it would be a step down from what I was doing, but the manager and the team seemed great and that part hasn't changed. However, since my manager Gary was so busy, he basically offloaded me to another manager, Jane. I was supposed to be the connection point between my team and Jane, but it quickly became Jane micromanaging me. She would ask me to work through lunch, move or cancel vacation days, call me at 11 p.m. on weekends and order me around on phone calls. She would also make nasty comments about my weight and said that I was big for my race. The list of personal slights is so long that it filled three pages. I would talk back to her and she did not like that and that provoked her more. I only stayed because we needed to pay the bills. Finally, I had a mental breakdown on a Friday afternoon after she yelled at me for something trivial about scheduling a meeting without including someone from her team who I didn't know about. I was dealing with a family tragedy and I couldn't take it anymore. I told Gary about the situation with Jane and he was sympathetic and not at all surprised considering half her team quit. He immediately offered to move me to a different team under him and I was thrilled. Well, it turns out that going to the new team didn't help. Jane continued to order me around from afar. When I ignored her emails, she came to my desk one day and started loudly talking about how I'm not qualified for this role. Now, Gary overheard and finally told her off, but the verbal abuse did not stop. After two months there, I abruptly wrote my resignation letter and I also stapled the list of Jane's offensive comments to it, CCing everyone. Gary offered a bunch of accommodation to try and keep me, but seeing how she was still provoking from afar, I said the only way for me to stay would be for her to go and he just didn't have that authority. Her manager was in a different country and despite several HR complaints from at least five people, nothing was done. So I left loudly and without shame, telling everyone exactly why I was leaving. Times were very bad for three months. There were nights that we would eat slices of bread just so we could pay the mortgage and emergency expenses from a health crisis and a funeral. Even after my husband found a job, we were still catching up on bills and we still are. I spent months applying to five to 10 roles per day, sometimes over 20. Last month, I saw a public memo about a big shot from a former company joining the company I just left. Now, I used to work with this guy closely, so I texted him. Congrats, let me know if you need any insights on the new place. We had a quick call where I told him some ins and outs, where I thought they could innovate. And after this call, he asked me to join the team as his chief of staff. I accepted. Imagine Jane's shock when we had our first all-hands call. All the VPs and above were asked to welcome the new Big Shot in a giant conference room. In Big Shot's speech, he breezed over that I'll be his chief of staff, along with a few key names. I now sat two levels above Jane, and apparently, within the three months that I wasn't there, the other half of her team turned over. Every single person left. Gary was excited for me and said all nice things. However, Jane took the classes through and sent Big Shot an email about how I'm an unqualified idiot that I used to work for her, how I tried to get her fired, and that she suspects that I lied to get ahead. She didn't even try to be fake nice. Big Shot forwarded me her email and asked what this was about. I was so nervous and excited. 
Little did Jane know I was a director at the Big Shots competitor company under him and was already a level above her. So two levels now isn't a big leap. And I worked with him for five years. I had an hour call with Big Shot and told him she was bad for the company culture and was a nasty person in general. But the evidence he needed was Gary confirming that her whole team has turned over. My prior resignation letter, which was still sitting on my desktop when I logged in upon return, and a few other nasty emails she sent her recent staff, which they were happy to share with us. Big Shot fired Jane on Friday. Another great piece of revenge here. The only thing that slightly annoys me is that everyone knows that Jane is a terrible person, right? There's a reason why half her team has left and why I presume more and more employees were talking about leaving in the office, you know, people that worked under her. Why does it seem so hard to get people like this fired? You know, I don't have the authority. Oh, she's not done enough. I don't really care. Like if someone's a terrible person and nobody enjoys working with them, then they shouldn't be at the company. To me, it seems as if this could have all been so easily avoided by everyone just saying, okay, look, let's be honest, guys. No one actually likes this woman and she's actually not very good at her job. Simple as that. Couldn't you just do that? I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something here, but nonetheless, a good outcome. I just feel like it could have been done so much sooner. And in that case, if it had been done sooner, loads of people would not have lost their jobs. Yeah, fair enough. You may have not ended up getting that amazing job that you have now, but in general, you know what I'm trying to say. A lot of people had to lose their jobs for Jane to finally be fired. And I'm not quite sure that's right. Try to steal my legally rented parking spot. Enjoy being unemployed. This happened last night, but I'm now in a good enough spot to actually post this. I'm not quite sure if it qualifies as pro, but it definitely isn't petty. I am a professional driver, and as such, on the roads in the US, there are different truck stops throughout the country that has a pay-to-park system. Usually about 10 to 20% of the lot marked off as reserved, with each space running from $15 to $25. The truck stop where this took place had parking for $17, which is relatively cheap for a guaranteed spot. The spots are reserved for 24 hours, starting at 4 p.m. local time and extending to 3 p.m. the following afternoon. I knew that I would have a late night delivery, so I came to the truck stop at around 3.30 and paid for a reserve spot. I told the manager on duty that I had a delivery up the road that night and would be back once delivery was completed, but should still be able to clear out the spot by the next afternoon, which is today. She told me this was fine and she would mark the spot as sold when I left. That way, if someone else comes in trying to reserve that spot, she could consult her notes and deny the sale. Quarter past 11 rolls around. I take off for my delivery. I don't get out of that facility though until 2.30 a.m. the next morning, this morning. So I groggily drive back to the truck stop to reclaim my paid for spots, only to find that the reserved parking spaces are all full. I call the manager on duty and after giving her my info, I inform her that all the spots are full and that someone has parked in a spot and hasn't paid for it. She sends her other employee out to start checking trucks. The culprit was from a company that is known for their bright orange trailers and he was a company driver. The other employee starts banging on his door to inform him that he is parked illegally and that he has to move. Meanwhile, I can see the commotion from my mirror with my vantage point in the fuel island where I've been instructed to temporarily park. The driver answers the door with a bottle of Heineken in one hand and some sort of smoking implement in another. I know what it is, but for the sake of the mods, I'm not gonna say it. I decided to roll down the window to hear the commotion and I hear the employee tell the driver to either move or he will get the towing company and police involved. This driver is flat out irate that someone had the audacity to tell him where he can and cannot park, so he slams the door on the employee, 
threatening him. The employee calls the police and tow company and the police show up first. I'd worked for this company before, so I know their policies and more importantly, what they can and cannot have in their trucks. Alcoholic beverages are not allowed in the cab. Anything that isn't a cigarette or a cigar and a lighter, also not allowed. The coup de gras, a pew pew of any kind, absolutely not allowed and especially not allowed loaded. This driver had all of that and some other not so legal substances in his cab, so he was hauled away in cuffs. His truck was hauled away on a wrecker. I made a call after the commotion died down to the company's safety director and informed them that their rig will be in an impound lot and their driver is going to jail over the not so legal stuff he had in his truck. She thanked me and said that he will definitely lose his job, especially over the alcohol and the other not so legal stuff. I guess he played the screw around and find out card and it bit him in his career. Well, that was just a calamity from start to finish. This guy is asking to be arrested. You can't be doing all this in the first place and then have a loaded gun in your car, be drinking alcohol, have some other illicit substances. I mean, come on, you're asking for it at that point. What is going on? It was just a matter of time, surely. This guy was on a a path to prison simple as that but hey i guess he did save 17 dollars. so every cloud um i'm sure he can use that in prison to buy probably nothing i I don't really know how prison systems work uh yeah my tip to this geezer would be only do one crime at a time because doing this many at once yes it's too much it's just too much my dad who is trans has discovered how to beat transphobes in the south We're currently in the South visiting family. When we were at a restaurant, my dad, who is female to male, had to go to the bathroom. I'm still not entirely sure how, but a guy in there determined that he was trans and went shouting to the barman to kick my dad out. My dad, instead of trying to win that argument in a bar full of Southerners, decided to go the complete other direction. He channeled his inner Southern righteous fury and went off on that man for accusing him of being a transgender demanded that he be kicked out and called the guy an agent of satan long story short it worked got the other guy and his family kicked out and got a free beer for his troubles i thought this sub would appreciate that well there we go that is absolutely genius now of course not the ideal way of going about it i mean ideally you'd be in a spot where you can just say to the barman or landlord or people in there by the way someone is being transphobic to me can we get them out but yeah as you say in southern america maybe that's not possible and um, if you want to get someone kicked out and you don't really mind about the ethics of how you do it then sure This was great. I mean, it worked a treat. Fair play. I mean, it's literally one of the biggest Uno reverse cards I've ever seen. No, how dare you call me trans. The fact that you've even done that is punishable by getting out of the bar. Great stuff. Refuse my mother entry to your horse track. Don't expect access to our personal road. My granddad used to own a piece of land next to a horse racetrack. Their land almost surrounded my granddad's, except for him having access to a heavily trafficated public road. The racetrack was laid out in such a way that their exercise track was placed north of my granddad's land, while the main track with the stadium was placed to the south. Way back when the racetrack was built, they'd asked my granddad if they could transport their horses across his land. There was already a maintenance road in place, and as they only moved their horses, he didn't really mind, as they also supported the local village. As a small thank you for this, they allowed him and his guests to watch the races for free. Normally, it would cost around five US dollars in our local currency. Not that much, but it allowed him to take me and all my cousins to watch the horses for free. Anyhow, fast forward a couple of years and my granddad passed away. 
My mother, who inherited the land, tried to bring her grandchild, my niece, to the racetrack to see the horses, just as my granddad used to. At the counter, she is told that she has to pay for admission. Not really that big of a deal, as she thought that they didn't know that she now owned the land. Afterwards, however, when she writes to the track to rectify the situation, they tell her that she won't be admission-free, as it was a one-time deal they'd struck with my granddad that now was off. So, enter the petty revenge. A few months later, when we had planned to cut down some of the trees for lumber, my mother told the contractors to accidentally leave one or two logs across the maintenance road. The racetrack, now having to load their horses on trolleys as they had to use the busy public road instead of our maintenance one, almost immediately sent an email to my mother, apologizing, offering her that same deal as my granddad received if we'd removed the logs. She only informed them that the one-time deal they'd struck with my granddad was off. In the end, after some wrangling, we ended up with a deal where they now have to pay my mother around 400 US dollars every month in addition to her and her guests having free admission. And there we go, some solid revenge right there. If anything, as soon as I started reading the story, I was thinking, yeah, you know, tickets are nice, but they're worth $5. You are giving access to a really important road for this company's entire, you know, business model, right? Without that road, as we've seen, the whole thing kind of gets decimated. So from the off, you should have been getting money. However, the fact of the matter now is that they, they took you for granted and you're now doing pretty well out of it. doesn't actually seem like enough. I'd say even push for some more. You have the monopoly on that road, obviously. Go for more. Go for a K. See what they do. The good thing is, you're back to enjoying the horses. Cool bylaw on me because I'm too sick to mow my grass. Enjoy your view of my eight-foot fence. So the cool about the long grass was kind of a last straw thing. The backstory is, my grandpa passed away two years ago and I moved into his house. He was pretty healthy, but he let the yard go down a bit. The grass was maintained, but the trees were overgrown, his pond and patio were dirty, etc. Our neighbor, years ago, sold their yard to a property builder. Our properties are in an L shape, so our neighbor was using our backyard as her virtual backyard. For the past two years, I've been trying my best to maintain the backyard, while also working and dealing with my grandpa's stuff. Well, for the past few weeks, the backyard has fallen a bit, as stress from work has creeped in and I was sick for a few weeks. Before this, the neighbor has always had nitpicks, but I mostly ignored them. But this time, they rang the door to complain about mess in the back. And I told them, I have a life outside this house. If it bugs you that much, you're more than welcome to do the work. Following that, bylaw came by and they were very understanding about my situation and gave me more than enough time to feel better and mow the lawn. Well, that whole thing angered me and I wanted to get the typical white picket fence as there wasn't a fence and we were passively looking for a dog. So I decided, screw it. And I built the largest fence I could. And since her house was right on the property line, she now looks out the window and instead of seeing my backyard, just sees a wooden fence. And there we go, the definition of a noisy neighbor. Why not just be happy with what you have right now? First of all, you don't have a garden yourself, but you have access to one in the form of your neighbors, at least looking at it. You can't really say to them, oh yeah, by the way, uh, ever since I sold my garden, can you make sure that you keep yours really pristine so I can look at it? I'm not gonna help at all, and it's actually nothing to do with me, but yeah, if you don't mind, keep it really looking great. Uh, It's just not gonna go down that well. Surely know your place and know the fact that you don't even have a garden and you're lucky enough to see one in the first place. But uh, yeah, great karma, great revenge. If you tell someone to do something and it's not your business, then um, yeah, someone's well within their right to say, you know what? No, I'm going to make it worse. And that is exactly what OP did. Very well indeed. Move my furniture, my turn. This happened when I'd only just moved from home and got my own place. 
Super proud of myself as I'd saved like a demon and bought, with mortgage obviously, my first place. Lovely little two-bed flat in a slightly rough area, but I loved it and it was all mine. My mum and stepdad came to visit for a few days a few months after I was settled in. Nicely decorated in my own style, all my own furniture. One of the evenings they stayed, I had to work a late shift. They planned to go out for dinner and to the pub and I left them to it. I came home at 11 p.m. and my mum had moved nearly all of the furniture around and all my books and kitchen stuff were moved to different shelves or cupboards. She even moved my bed in my room. So when I opened the bedroom door, it hit the bed. I was fuming. I angrily fixed what I could that night before going to bed. I spoke to her about it the next day and explained that it's my home and I had it how I liked, so stop, please. I put everything else back, which took hours. She just grumbled the whole time that it looked better her way. Their last day, I nipped out to the shops to get us some nice bits for lunch. And in the hour I was gone, she'd done it again. Moved all my kitchen stuff around to where she liked it. Again, I told her off. My house, my rules. She still maintained it was better her way and I should just let her crack on. Fine, I let her do what she wanted and I put my stuff back when they left. So, my revenge? Well, I went to visit their house six months later and I did the same to her. She went out to work one day and I rearranged every bit of furniture I could by myself. Everything. I swapped the dining room and living room furniture over so you had to walk food through the living room and across the hallway to get to the dining room. I swapped their bedroom and guest room curtains over. The windows were different sizes so their now bedroom curtains were two foot too short. Even the pointless little things like moving the spoons to a different side of the drawer and I moved every photo on the walls to a different wall. I rearranged the fridge. It all took me seven hours. My stepdad was home while I did it and laughed his head off the whole time. He refused to help, but understood, so let me crack on. Neither me nor my stepdad said anything when she got home. We just sat watching TV, which was now in what was their dining room. And I asked her how was work. She didn't say a word. She walked around the house, taking it all in for 20 minutes. Then came and sat down, looked at me and said, point taken. They'd put it back to how it was the next time I visited. We've not spoken of it since. Now this is amazing. Not just the revenge, which is of course brilliant. Not just the fact that your stepdad sat there and said, yep, I can't get involved, but I'm a massive proponent for this. But also the fact that your mum completely accepted and knew instantly what had happened. The fact that you've not spoken about it since is so good. The respect is there. Your mum gets it. You've played a blinder. Your stepdad loved it. Overall, this is just brilliant petty revenge. Got the point across. No one was upset. The beauty of this subreddit. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.